And hello, everybody. It is Saturday night, June the 5th, year 2010. And we're going to be calling Patricia. I'm Wong Shoes, everybody. Hope you're having a wonderful summer day, even though we're 16 days ahead of summer. But first, let's uh, pray. Dear Lord, thank you for the station. Bless our opportunities for fellowship and getting together tonight. Like we have so many Saturday nights in the past, and we Lord willing so many in the future. Bless all the listeners and supporters of the station. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right, folks. Well, let's get up a little Patricia music. Uh, little, uh, little opening, and I'll go give the gal the call. I hope it is. stations have birthdays like everybody else. And today we are celebrating ours, the 40th anniversary of broadcasting, entertainment, news, sports, and information to the people of the Pacific Coast from San Francisco. It was in 1922 that KNBC, then known as KPL, began program service. Many famous entertainers and many historic events were beamed out over the airways during our 40 years of broadcasting. In 1951, when the NBC radio network was celebrating its 25th anniversary, the then-popular comedy team of Fibber McGee and Molly did a special broadcast that eavesdropped on some of the great shows of radio. Since then, Molly Jordan has passed on, and Fibber is living in retirement in Encino, California. Twelve years have slipped by since Fibber McGee and Molly's 25th anniversary salute to NBC, and that broadcast is in itself a collector's item. Tonight is one of the highlights of KNBC's 40th anniversary celebration. We will revive that famous broadcast of Fibber McGee and Molly, during which you will hear the voices of Joe Penner, Fred Allen, Ben Burney, W.C. Fields, Edgar Bergen, and Charlie McCarthy, and many, many other favorites from out of the past, starring Fibber McGee and Molly. Our Silver Jubilee, the 25th birthday of the National Broadcasting Company. Like any birthday, the birthday of NBC is a time for reflection and recollection. Were you listening to Ed Wynn at 9.30 on a Tuesday night in 1932? At 7 o'clock on a Wednesday evening in 1929? Were you listening to Amos and Andy? Or were you listening to Rudy Valley's Great Variety Show at 8 o'clock on a Thursday evening in 1934? Ah, these were great moments in the history of NBC. And ordinarily, it would be impossible to relive them. But we are fortunate in having had with us for the past 20 years a man to whom nothing is impossible. I refer, of course, to the resident of 79 Wistful Vista, Molly's husband, Fibber McGee. As we look in on the McGee's, Fibber is tinkering with his old 1926 super heterodyne radio set. He is, in fact, known as the biggest tinker in radio. Mrs. McGee makes a fairly safe statement. She says... It'll never work, McGee. What do you mean, it'll never work? My gosh, Molly. Let me get this straight again. Yeah? You claim that you can fix this radio set so it'll tune in programs that were broadcast 20 years ago? 25 years ago, even. I'm rewiring it so I can tune it to different years instead of different stations, you see? No, I don't. Well, look, Tootsie. According to the McGee theory of radio dynamics, which I'm the guy that calls up, I claim that when you hear a broadcast once, that ain't necessarily the end of it, see? It don't just disappear. In other words, old radio programs never die. <laughs> I know one that dies every Tuesday night. Well, that ain't what I mean. I mean that they're still out there. 
bouncing around in the air, waiting for somebody to tune him in again. And I'm the guy that can do it. What's our congressman's phone number? Why? Well, if there isn't a law against that, I'll help him write one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you change your mind when I get this baby working, Molly. Need to make a few more adjustments here. Get the king bolt tightened up a little bit. I'll be ready to try it. And... You want to buy a duck? No, I'm not interested in any poultry, bud. I'm trying to... Hey, who said that? Why, I don't know, McGee. There's nobody here but us. Doggone it, turn off the radio, will you, Molly, while I work on this? Radio? Hey, the radio. It's working. You hear it, Molly? It works. Hush, listen. My goodness, it sounds like New Year's Eve, McGee. I wonder where that... Oh, my old boy, I told you I could make it work, and... You not it! McGee! That's Joe Penner. Why, he used to be one Listen. of... Listen, Delta. Remember him? Ben Burney? Oh, yes. I used to love him. Mark of time. Everybody wants to get into the act. My God. Tony Wan. <laughs> oh, McGee, that's Jimmy Durante. Oh, yeah, Jimmy Durante. Boy, this is wonderful. Gee whiz, I can tune in any program I want. Hush a minute, hush. Let's listen to this one first. What year now are we listening to? I can't tell yet. The dates are all scrambled up on the dial here, but I can fix that. And my name, darling, is Lula Bankhead. Did you hear that? I got Congress, Senator Bankhead. No, no, that's... Got a deep voice on him, hasn't he? No, McGee, that was... My goodness, this is exciting, McGee. Can you tune in just any program you want to hear? Anything back to 1926. That's when the first big network started. NBC, 1926. Oh? That's when we bought this old super heterodyne, remember? Oh, do I remember. Yeah. So you lugged this thing home, strung about 200 feet of aerial around the roof, plugged it in, turned it on, and blew out fuses that we didn't even know we had. Yeah, but remember the first program we ever heard on it? There was a, a band out, out in Kansas City. Oh, yes. The Nighthawks. Yeah, that's it. Yes. Coon Sanders and their Kansas City Nighthawks. Yes. Wait till I tune this. Three, Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is Pat Kelly greeting you from Kansas City, where NBC is presenting the Coon Sanders Nighthawks Orchestra. Oh, that's it, McGee. That's them. Relax and enjoy yourselves now while the Coon Sanders Nighthawks go to work on some of these days. <laughs> I told you this baby would work, kiddo. <laughs> boy, oh boy, is this ever jazzy. Wonderful.
17 straight days, uh, my mom, when she used to drive out, used to see Jack Landon trees. That was sort of a tree that was popular in the month of June. So we always sure to see, try to find if there's any Jack Landon trees around. And we saw one in the park today, so... Oh, how neat! We have Jack trees here, too. Those are the ones that get purple flowers, am I, I correct? I think you're absolutely correct. Oh, yes! Oh, and they're pretty, too. Yeah, yeah so... Anyway, so today, today, today. Today. Yeah. May I, may I start the show with something? It's your show? I'm just your bus driver, that's all. <laughs> you do drive the bus very well. Walden <laughs> has all the controls out there, so if I disappear, blame it on him. That's right. What do you got? Well, I have got a very special guest tonight. I am doing a special interview tonight with a very special guest. And the guest's name is Walden Hughes. Is Who's this cool or what? Who's he? Oh, he is our best buddy. <laughs> anyway, I had asked Walden, oh, a bunch of months ago, if one night I could interview him. And he said, sure, July looks pretty good because, um, you know, we've got a lot of people booked up until now. So he called me on Wednesday or Thursday and said, 
are you ready for my interview? <laughs> I said, oh, you mean tonight for Saturday? And he said, yes. So I get to interview Walden tonight. You know what? Whenever she doesn't come across, you can save it for July. Um, well, I suppose we could do that, too. However, um, I'm going to repeat this a bunch of times all the way through that today is Walden's birthday. So lots of phone calls wishing him a happy birthday would be just terrific. 714-545-2071. You can have questions for Walden as I go through my list of questions. Some of you know Walden and have spent time with him. So if you have a Walden story you would like to call in with, that would be terrific too. If you don't have any stories about Walden, Walden would be happy with that too. <laughs> My life is an open book, everybody, so you know, it's pretty much free, free range around here. Yeah, that's, that's what he says. He says it, but he won't do it. <laughs> now, Walden. <laughs> that is straight out of the Bickersons. I'm not picking on poor Walden. Okay, I want to give a little background first, and you're going to have to help me with this, Walden. Last month, on May 4th, you celebrated another anniversary of your time as a DJ and on-air personality with Yesterday USA. It was my anniversary of having my own studio in my bedroom to do live shows. Yes, been doing it for eight years out of my bedroom where my, um, I'm speaking on a microphone. My elbows are sitting on the table and my lump is leaning against my bed. I don't have a chair here. I just work standing, standing <laughs> up. I know. Make do with everything that's there. Yep. I am just so pleased with that because I wrote down the date. I have it on my calendar from last month. It's May 4th. This is Walden's anniversary. Yep. But I didn't write down how many years it was. <laughs> yeah, well, see, you look good. But my, my first interview. Because here, right here in my notes, I said, is it eight years? Is that correct? That and is yes, correct. it was. But my, oh. first, my first interview of doing interview for the station was September 17, 2000. So uh, in September, I will be doing interviews for Yesterday USA, producing them or co-hosting them for 10 years. Wow. See, time is marching, Cable. You've uh, got the studio in your home in Costa Mesa, as you just said, Costa Mesa, California. I cannot tell anyone how it works. Walden can tell you how it works. All I know is that I have to be here to pick up a phone on Saturday nights. That's my entire responsibility. Yeah, what you do very well. You I, you handle the phone perfectly, Patricia. I give you an A for for talent and effort. I oh gosh, you know I really appreciate that. <laughs> that is very too cool. We're still introducing Walden here, though. And I decided that calling Walden an old-time radio hobbyist is like calling the Grand Canyon a canal. He is far beyond for uh, the casual hobbyist level. You are known for the warehouse that is in your head. You've got names, dates, time, shows, personalities, actors, who did what, who, who replaced whom. What, I, it's, it's just mind-boggling what you have got up there. And... For a whole bunch of people, and me included, Walden is a good friend. Ah, thank you. Come along very often. So, good evening, Mr. Hughes. This is your life. Oh, dear. Thank you, Patricia. This is going to be a little bit different from what you expected, Walden. <laughs> I just thought I'd mention that. I'll leave it for that at now, okay? We'll just not mention that for a little bit. All right.
Okay. Good thing I'm going to keep the phone lines all clogged up tonight. That way nobody sneak in. <laughs> yes, we we do expect some phone calls for Walden tonight. 714-545-2071. Good thing I make sure the internet was down. <laughs> it's still playing. Uh-uh, I can't get away with that. Walden, start at the beginning for us. How old were you when you discovered old-time radio, and how did that come about? Mm. I think I was uh, nine years old. Um, I went through uh, let's see here five serious eye operations, uh, starting at age seven through nine, and finally just my sight finally just uh, disappeared and went kapoop when about November of nineteen seventy-five. And so after uh, going through that, coming home. Uh, you know, it's basically trying to get adjusted through, it, and back in those days, you know, you, when you're going through eye surgery, you spend a lot of time on your back. Uh, uh -huh. That's the way they used to do those things, 10 days in hospital days, and then, uh, because my retina surgery, I spent a ton of time laying on the couch at home and having my folks read out loud and neighbors bring uh, story records over and things like that. So I, I think I was very much tuned into the audio format since a little kid, mm -hmm. and because I also had um, stream eye trouble since I've been born, uh, watching TVs and reading was not the easiest thing. Cause I really had to have really large types, and um, uh, in order to read, mm -hmm. um, I would I had a, a special TV device at school. Uh, that I would take my book, put it, put it underneath a camera, and I could see the letters magnify onto a TV screen. Uh -huh. So my eyesight was not always a little bit. So uh -huh. anyway, so that's um, so that gives you an idea that I I probably was pretty much uh, set up to really take on old time radio. I first got introduced to it. Uh, my aunt. Noticed one of the local radio stations, uh, FM station, was doing an all-day old-time radio marathon, and thought I could tune in. So I tuned in. Uh, so I got introduced to shows, but really what grabbed my ears is one night uh, when a talk show host named Bill, uh, Ray Breen took a night off, and Bill Bounds substituted for for him on a Friday night, and they had some guy named Frank Brzee co-host. And so it was midnight, it was a Friday night, here I was 9 and 10 years old, and I think when you had surgeries, your whole sleeping system is um, totally goofed up. So it seemed like I was always awake, I don't know why, but maybe, you, maybe I sleep periodically, it seemed like I, a lot of times it's awake at night. Uh -huh. And so... Frank was on free from midnight until three. That I could so periodically I could tune. I wanted to tune it off because I was trying to get sleep, but I, you know, turn it back on. And they had Brett Morrison, the guy who played the Shadow, come in in the studio at one o'clock. And the first clip Frank played was Jack Armstrong, where Jack slid down. Jack and Billy get caught up in a snow storm and are sliding down the mountain. And for a ten-year-old or nine-year-old kid, that's pretty exciting stuff. So, so you know, so when I woke up, I told Dad, and my dad took me to a record store 
named Sam Goodies, and we bought two 8-track tapes, two episodes of The Superman and two episodes of The Shadow. And away I go from about 1976 or so until today. So that, there you go. I, I love the way you're describing this, and obviously being tapped into the audio medium very early on yeah. contributed to this. What was there about the shows themselves, about old-time radio shows that intrigued you so much? I think, looking back, I think the content, the stories were so good. I don't, I don't, I didn't say this was old or no. It, I think I've always been a very discerning little kid that I like good quality stuff. Stuff is my favorite word of the day, folks. If you can figure out why that's important, give us a call at 714-545-2071. What is stuff? What is stuff? It's such a good word. Anyway, so I think, Patricia, the stories themselves are so good. And I think it was wonderful for me that we had record stories in my area that carried old-time radio shows. Uh-huh. That we could buy a track tape, we could buy LP albums. And in the mid-70s, uh, some LP albums were $7 for two 15-minute shows. Wow. So I would save my money and uh, and send away for, for some and... Well, sometimes local record store would have them on for two or three bucks, and my, my dad was such a good sport, uh, they would pick and choose. And I still have those record albums today. I, you know, part of my... That's my, amazing, and these are shows that we can find for free. Yep. Not then. Now, this isn't even on my list, but I want to hop backward just a little bit, because you said when you were having your eye surgeries and you mm-hmm. were recovering, your parents uh, were reading stories to you. Yep. So you were being introduced to hearing stories as opposed to watching television and uh-huh. having a, a visual there. How did the radio shows compare to what you were hearing as having been written for kids in books? I think I think they were going hand-to-hand because I think the, the stories I was reading uh, as a kid, we read 34 of the 56 Hardy Boy sh- stories. Uh-huh. Uh, my mom read the complete line of Little House on the Prairie. Um, when my mom would re- read, uh, Bridie in the Grand Canyon, she would cry, and I would, I would pat her on the lap. Okay, Mom. Uh, okay, Mom. We'll get to it. Go. Sorry, you'll clean yourself up. We'll, we'll finish the story. We'll do it. <laughs> so, you were talking about high-quality series here, which, of course, would translate, uh, in radio two things like Superman and the Shadow. Uh-huh. I think you're absolutely right. So I think, um, also, my TV watching as a little kid, um, I grew up maybe watching TV during the daytime. Um, and during that period of time, what they, from uh, 2 to 5, would have been the reruns of the I Love Lucy show, some of the famous comedy shows, and the cartoons. Uh-huh. And that's what I grew up with, watching TV. I... You know, the only nighttime TV shows I remember as a kid, even that was even current, were the detective shows, McCloud and Kojak. But, but okay. Because when I, but I only see a little bit, then I would be off the bed. So I was never, you know, any current TV was really not a normal part of my uh, yeah. uh, upbringing. And with watching the uh, reruns of the old stuff, I think was a big deal. And <clears throat> sporting events. Oh, the S word. Yes. 
we have a thing going. I'm not much of a sports fan, so um, anytime somebody talks about baseball or football or goodies like that, I say S-words, S-words, you're using S-words. So that's where that came from. So uh, but, you know, this is interesting because if I'm hearing you correctly, the transition from what you were accustomed to or growing accustomed to and from there to radio was a pretty natural sequence was an easy segue. Also, also, looking back upon it, I think I had, um, my family structure was interesting that, um, I was exposed to a lot of things as a little kid. In other words, I went to outdoor concerts and things as a small little kid, mm-hmm. you know, and being introduced to classical music and big bands and country, even, you know, a since, you know, 9, 10, or whatever, so my, my base of exposure was big. I was very active in Cub Scouts um, before 8 years old. I always knew I wanted to be a Boy Scout, and I pretty much knew I was going to be an Eagle Scout. Uh, so I was, very, I was a very driven, determined young guy in those directions. Um, I think, I think, um, it's just a sidebar I think would be interesting. My... Uh, I think in a lot of ways it was a blessing to lose my sight because my concentration level uh, just was enormous after losing my sight. And that's why I think uh, I was so driven academically. Um, I always pretty much competed and decided well act. And uh, I don't know if my fellow sight classmates were too fond having the... the teacher put up my score up on the chalkboard. Said, well, kids, well, I'm going to 96 today on today's math score. Let's see what you can do. You know, mm-hmm. you know, <laughs> I was a pretty driven. Uh, I was a pretty, and I loved to compete. And I was, uh, I read a lot of talking books. When I, I, when I read, I read in, uh, go- I read in golf. In other words, I will read a bunch of books at one time. And, uh, Put away books for a while. Got it. Hello, Carla. You're on the air, Patricia. Hello. Yes. Hi. How are you doing, Charlie? Hi. Good. I'm on the I had sight until I was nine, nine and a half. Oh, what, what, what caused you to lose your sight? Uh, retina. I had five re- uh, retina detachments. Oh boy. And so I, I, um, I went through. Uh, I went to the most famous eye doctors in the world, uh, Dr. Robert Mockimer, who is now the head of Duke. Yeah. He's the head of Duke. He was the one that, um, in the 70s, discovered all the major techniques that we use today. Yeah. And at that time, because, you know, technology just was not able to uh, put together back retinas back in the mid-70s. So, you know, maybe today would have been a different story, but back yeah. then, you know, just uh, did you have uh, <coughs> Perkins V12 on them before no, or not? No, I was extremely, extremely nearsighted. Oh. So I had the heavy Coke bottles and things like that. Heavy glasses like that. We're talking about old time radio. Yeah. I am a fan, of course. I grew up with the old time radio stories. You know, as far back as you know, I was born in 32. So I was in the 40s and, the, uh, you know, that time. And I uh, uh, heard the Long Ranger and the uh, Green Hornet, Sergeant Press and all those things. Uh, mm-hmm. Thank you. It's good to hear from you, Charlie. Thank you. I don't know what you mean by stuff, but I have some pretty good stuff. 
You do have good stuff. stuff, I guess. He teases me. It's my favorite word, Charlie, and he teases me about it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, there's some, still some pretty good stuff on the internet. I get some, I get a couple of free streams. I get, of course, I get USD USA, actually, and I get a couple others that uh, are pretty good. A lot of them is real good. And, but, uh, who are they? Let's mention them. Who are some of the other good sites? Well, uh, there's USD USA, of course, and there's one called Bondo Classics OTR. Bondo, is it, uh, Okay, Brando Classic, what do they play, Westerns, or what do they play over there? Uh, 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 everything's BrandoClassics.otr.com. Okay. Sundays. Okay. Yeah, and I'm going to do that probably starting July. 
Oh, okay, right now I'm basically putting together the uh, convention in Seattle. Oh, 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 oh. Uh, June 25, 26, and 27. Oh, wow. And some guy named, who just turned 100 years old, Norman Corrin, going to be. Oh, Corrin? Yep. What? So he's going up to Seattle. Can you imagine having longevity in that kind of family? Being 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 a hundred years old and your brother is seven years older, that's pretty remarkable. That's for sure. Yeah. and things like that, so, poor thing, but, uh, oh, okay, so. you bet. Tell him, tell him, Charlie, please, well. I will, Charlie. Okay, man. Thank you, pal. Thank you. Okay. Hi, Charlie. Bye-bye. And there's Charlie. Okay, we are in the middle of an interview with Walden Hughes. I think this is just so cool. Walden is going to bear his soul to the world tonight. And the next question, oh, if you want to call in with a question, you can do that, too. It's 714 and we're doing this because it's Walden's birthday, so call in with a happy birthday. You can call in with a question, a happy birthday, a comment, a story, anything at all. But it's Walden's birthday, and everybody has to say happy birthday. If not, you can just say, you, I just want a Fever McGee and Molly show, and we can do that for you, too. <laughs> yes, we can do that, too. <laughs> Chef Patricia, so give me my show. Walden, um, how did you discover Yesterday USA? Um... Through the Gasmans and Spurvac, I've known about it since the uh, early 80s, and... Tell them what Spurvac is, please. Spurvac is the largest old-time radio uh, club in the country. At one time, it had up to 1,700 members nationally, and so, uh, so that's, so they used to run a little notice about Yesterday USA, so I tried. I tried to get my cable TV company, I tried to get hooked into it, so I've been aware of them. And the Gaffman's used to been on it since 1986, so I've been aware of them for a long time. Hello, Carl. How are you doing? It's me again. Why don't you tell me it's your birthday? <laughs> Thank <laughs> you, Charlie. Happy birthday, bud. Thank you. Happy birthday. What are you, what are you 39? I'm 39 plus 5. <laughs> well, happy birthday, my friend. I Thank you, Charlie. I hope you have a good one. I hope so, too. Okay, bye. Bye-bye. You know, we got one slice of lemon pie left, and I think my brother's going to get it. Oh, no, yeah. you, tell him, you tell him that's Patricia. Well, he asked Patricia, but you know, 
didn't work, huh? We, 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 well, we got a whole rhubarb pie. My mom got ice cream to go with it, Patricia, so just in case. Ice cream and lemon meringue pie. Oh, no, this is not, this is plain lemon pie with a crust. Oh, no, 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 this is the lemon meringue. Oh, the whole deal. The lemon meringue, and we do have a rhubarb pie. I, I'm a pie person, folks, so, you know, if you want to stick a pie in your email to me, I'll be very happy. He's the only person who has candles in the top of meringue. <laughs> this is good. Okay, so we were on How You Found Yesterday USA. The uh -huh. Gaskins are, John, tell folks. John and Larry uh, are two blind twins, uh, identical twins, born January 2nd, 1955. And was ordered by three minutes. And they've been hosting old-time radio. Uh, consistently and locally since 1980 and with Bill and Kim since 1986. Hello, Carl. You are on with Patricia. Hi, it's uh, David from uh, Northport, Alabama. Hi, David. How are you? How are you? It's good to hear from you. Yeah, well, it's it's been busy, but I, 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 I'm, I'm listening again for the first time in a few weeks yeah. and uh, trying to catch up. And first I wanted to wish Walden a happy birthday, but I also was uh, just uh, I thought I'd ask a, a, a question. Um, what is your opinion about the future of old-time uh, radio? Do you think it's, uh, are you optimistic uh -huh. about it? Um, do you see signs that uh, it's, you know, that there are a lot of young fans? Uh, and also, do you think there's any chance of a revival of, of the sort of the old-time radio form of, of shows? I think the answer is yes on both fronts. Um, and maybe because I'm in a different situation than most, because I've been in this hobby since 76. And just think about it, since I was a 9 or 10 year old boy, I, I, I've been to, this year, um, in June, I'll be, have attended 32 old-time radio conventions throughout the country. And m most of the time, I've always been the youngest participant there. But the last couple years, when I'm going to old-time radio, I'm seeing close to 30 to 40 people in our age bracket, people in their 40s, at the conventions. And I think the beauty of the internet, it allowed Patricia, you, me, and everybody else who don't live near each other, uh, the ability to connect. And so when you're in an isolated area like that, you, you when you're so young, you don't know anybody. But since the, the internet, it connected. I, I think the internet has been a great godsend. I think the old-time radio hobby... It's in very good hands. It's going to change, and I have some idea what, how it's going to change. But I think the uh, the flame keepers are already positioned to take the to take the take the, the torch over. I know a lot of young people seem to be disengaging from TV. Yes, if you look at watching the, TV, they they rely, they look at YouTube's and that kind of thing. Yeah, I think I think that if you look at the the business model. Um, uh, regular TV is in tr deep financial trouble, and the whole media, uh, unfortunately, I think a lot of us who grew up reading, the whole newspaper industry is in deep trouble, and so I think all the, I think all the platforming is changing so dramatically that we're probably not going to see normal TV or newspapers, it's going to have to be multi-layered. Uh, formatting, so in other words, we're going to get the newspaper strictly online. I don't see the days of having the paper in hand. I don't see the day having just normal TV. It's going to be uh, platforming. In other words, people will watch TV and interact with the computer with their own show through social connect network.
Well, that's why USA, you know, Radio USA. Yesterday, USA's, I mean, um, I think got such potential because there. I don't really, I don't know about this other network that the other caller mentioned, but I, um, I haven't found any other networks uh, that are are like the are like your station. Yeah, that's ninety seven. You have DJs and and I mean, are there others like that uh-huh. where you have sort of twenty four hour? Yeah, you know, you know. yeah. There are 97 old-time radio networks on on the internet right now, off like 365. Mm-hmm. Um, there's probably one other that's somewhat similar to us, but um, we have been able to develop a staff of the old-time radio collectors who've been involved in the 60s, and then us new kids. So Bill have sort of allowed me to run around with his toy and sort of redesigned it over the last five years or so. And David, it's interesting that you asked the question about resurrecting the medium. I had asked Frank Brzee that question one time, and it was quite a while ago, um, that it, it's such a rich medium, it's such a rich entertainment form. Will we ever see it come back? And he was just emphatic about no, there, that there, we just could not generate enough interest. Um, and people who were accustomed to watching explosions on television and, uh, you know, Halloween, oh my goodness, all the, the, the visuals that are going on. I tend to think along your line and Walden's line that this is not, it, it's lying, it, it's asleep as opposed to dead. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. It's something that we're going to see increasingly popular among many people. All, all across generations. My own, you know, situation is I, 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 I teach history and I'm, I'm at work and I'm doing a lot of, uh, you know, often a lot of busy work. Right. Uh, I, I guess I would call it, you know, typing in uh, indexes and uh, uh, even some sort of grading of uh, objective exams, you know, where it doesn't really take a lot of thought. So I like to have something in the background and I, you know, get tired of listening to music. And, uh, you know, uh, are tired of listening to talk radio. Right. So it's, it's, a, it's a really good alternative to that. Yeah. And a lot of young people can multitask. Do so you I, think they would have a talent for it potentially, you know, to be doing something else in their job or whatever and some mm-hmm. people and then listen to, uh, you know, listen to old-time radio. That's why Enjoy I think, it. That's why the music think, gets old after a while, at least for me. I, I think that's why we've seen the growth of Such Yesterday USA because of that, the, the kids who are multitask. And also I think there is a strong potential that new radio drama is uh, viable. Um I'm involved with the guys who are working on acquiring the rights for I Love a Mystery to bring those script back to today's audience with the old-time radio actors and well-known TV actors. Uh, Carl Murray is able to make a go at it and his budget for a twilight zone of $30,000 an episode. And he's able to cover the bills. Um, Roy Albert, Jim Frank's up in Imagination Theater that have the rights for Sherlock Holmes, they're able to make the bills. So I think... It's, it's an economically viable medium. Well, do you know that there's a religious station um, that uh, I think it's Dobson or whatever. Right, folks in the family. Uh, they have old, They have you know they have the media. They they have have it there. Yeah, they, they have, have Ventures and Odyssey. Good shows. Yeah. yeah, they have Alan Young and Grant Waddle uh, that play the parents on those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, it's definitely a viable media. Yeah. David, you and I have even uh, swapped some thoughts about using some of the old-time radio shows with historic, historically significant topics or content, 
and using them as a springboard for children, uh, introducing children to American history. Mm-hmm. And I think there's great potential in that. I'm sure like when... You do it in courses. I mean, I thought of ideas, and I don't know how I'd pull it off, but it, it would be an interesting uh, assignment to have uh, people in a class uh, compare uh, um, uh, Lum and Abner mm-hmm. and Am- Amos and Andy. You know, and, and, and uh, you know, what is, you know, they're very similar shows in some ways. And, um, you know, do a little, you do a little exercises like that. And, of course, all of this stuff is available online or much of it. So you, it would it would be perfectly feasible to do that. It's almost though, what I have had discussion with people on the front. What show do you introduce people to? Like, they've never heard old-time radio. They're a young student. What do you use? Or what handful of shows would you introduce them to in order to try to, to them to get tapped into the media? Well, the shows that, that got me all excited were, uh, uh, what was that? Uh, Lanigan versus the Ant. Uh-huh. What was that? What was that on? Uh, escape and Suspense, yes. Yeah, Escape and Suspense. Yes. Those shows always had a mystique for me and continue to have a mystique. And that, if you were going to revive... Uh, you know, I mean, I know they, they do, they're doing the Twilight Zone. Right. But in some ways, that would really bring, you know, be a revival of the medium. Because Twilight Zone is, you know, doing old TV shows, radio versions of old TV shows. I, I think the Some of those scripts are just... Back to Twilight Zone... My understanding, they take the TV and they have to stretch it and pad it. And sometimes it's awful hard to tinker with a really good script. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that can be a shortcoming to try to expand it and stretch it into the 44-minute block that they try to have for programming for the Twilight Zone. In some of the Twilight, it was a mixed series. Yes. There were some great episodes, but there were some that, frankly, I didn't think were that, that great. And they're, they're yeah. sort of trying to do all of them, and I enjoy it. Mm-hmm. But it seems to me that, you know, if you if you got the old suspenses there, I mean, there must be hundreds of shows, aren't there? I mean... Uh, 900, yeah. Yeah, you and know. just just redo them, you know, yeah. or, you know, modernize them somewhat, and I think it would work beautifully. Well, that's a, we've been having discussion internally. Do you take an old radio script and update for the modern audience? You know, I mean, there are certain techniques and writing styles that are used today. Um like having a character be a narrator, different formats today that we didn't really use 60, 70 years ago, wasn't used. And so we've been having internal discussion in the creative thinking process. Do we tamper with old scripts? Oh, I think you, you yeah, I think you'd want to. I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, this is always, you know, this is always innovative art. I mean, Shakespeare, yeah. you know, people, ta- you know, made West Side Story out of it, you know, yeah. <laughs> or, you know, tamper with it and, and you know, around with it. I think you could improve it mm-hmm. potentially, or you you could add new elements, but you'd have these old elements to build on. Absolutely, um, because I think radio is just a writer's medium. I think well, and that's where the money needs to go. I think first of all, it's looking for the writers or the best capable writers to create things. Uh, that uh, to me, that's almost first first priority in my book is make sure you have the best content to work with to develop audio. We're much more literate society now. A lot of people are writing. Everybody's writing a novel, it mm-hmm. seems like. So it seems like today you would have a 
potential pool of people out there that maybe would even be greater than... Also, I, I not that they necessarily could get much compensation, but you would have a lot of people that maybe would just want to try it, try it out as a challenge to their uh, skills. Also, I wonder, David, and just just across my mind, and Patricia and I kicked it around. I wonder if the audio format, in a way, is such an active mind uh, deal that people who are uh, attracted to it are more educational, more literal base. I mean, those of us who are willing to read and study and do other things are attracted to this this genre, this media format. No, it's an interesting question. I'm, I would not have thought that. I would think that radio and old-time radio, it doesn't, old-time radio in particular, because that's what we're talking about tonight, would have a much wider audience that would include people who do not read, that it would be a wonderful, um, if, if you've got a group of people who do not read, they will not read. I grew up in a family that was proud of not having read books, if you can imagine that. Um, having that group listen to old-time radio shows is the proverbial door and window opening for some people. I, I think you're right about that. I mean, I mean, certainly during the golden era of old-time radio, you had a lot of people, I assume, who were listening and, uh, you know, did not read. Mm-hmm. And you had just such a wide range of shows as well. Huh? I don't know if anyone ever studied the audience. There probably is polling data out there somewhere. I, I don't know. I know my friend Brian Haggard really thinks a lot of people who grew up watching television, it's harder for, harder for them to switch over to the radio side. Um, if you had multi-interest, it's easier to get over there. I, I know it seemed like a very common element for us generations that did not grow up with old-time radio. I know a very common element, a lot of us grew up listening to talk radio. Mm-hmm. And I think the talk, that talk radio background slash old-time radio seemed to be a natural hand-to-hand association for us as listeners. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was for me, mm-hmm. um, but you know, maybe maybe there's a way to reach a you know, uh, you know, uh, maybe there's a way to reach a new audience. Maybe so. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I mean, uh, um, there might be people that are sort of bored, don't like sitting in front of a screen, right? Yeah. That are bored with that, and well, they may find uh, this is an alternative that uh, engages other mental senses, um, and maybe find it more engaging. So, I mean, I suppose it's, it's possible that, you know. I, I think another factor, though, because uh, network television and so economic dire straits, they don't have the financial resources to, to eventually drop into drama uh, and to uh, comedy shows and are going more into reality shows, news shows. So people who get bored with that, they're going to need to find somewhere to stimulate uh, the storytelling art. And maybe that's where radio can jump in. And, of course, the soap operas are dying as well. Yeah, I just interviewed Don Hastings off here. He is, uh, for the audience, Dr. Bob Seuss at the World Turn. been on since 1960s, and I'm going to run that interview next Friday. And he thinks that soap operas on TV will be completely gone in 10 years. Well, the, you know, a part of that is, of course, a lot of people are at work and can't, can't, can't watch them. You Correct. can't have a TV at work and watch As the World Turns, right? Right. You know, it was originally, of course, women. My my, my mother watched, you know, as the world turns yeah. from the beginning, and never missed it. Um, and that audience is is disappearing. But 
you, it brings to mind maybe soap operas on radio would have a potential revival. I mean, again, for people at work yeah. um, who could listen to it and get away with it. <laughs> Yeah, I would think in favor of radio is that, and, and old-time radio in particular, is that it's so portable. Correct. You cannot pack a television on your back, but you can pack MP3s in your pocket. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going to keep listening, but I, I'm enjoying it, and uh, I'll let some other people call in and have a chance to ask you some questions. But yeah, happy well, birthday. Thank you, Dave. Well, tomorrow night we'll do a whole, day on, a whole special on D-Day, so you might want to... All right, well, I'll be tuning in. Sounds good. Okay. Thank bye. you. Thank you, David. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Just want to give a little plug tomorrow. It's the 66th anniversary of D-Day, and I've worked very hard on this. I have merged new coverage on three different networks in the first hour, and I try to show what was going on simultaneously. Well, what a tough word! At the same time, so you get a feel how the different networks were covering the same story at the same time. So you might want to give that. Uh, a chance. It's a little different than a normal get playing shows. And then uh, later we'll play shows, but we're going to try to simulate the clock. You know, the, what people might have been tuning in and listening to at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock, 9.30, etc. Remarkable point in our history. Mm -hmm. I mean, absolutely extraordinary point in our history. I will have my ears on. Good. We love Patricia's Mickey Mouse ears. They are good. <laughs> I really don't have big ears, but it's okay if you call them Mickey Mouse ears. Well, Mickey, Mickey didn't have okay. big ears, you know. It's not like Dumbo or the elephant. No, it's not like Dumbo. Oh, goodness gracious, poor Dumbo. We are talking with Walden. Walden is my victim tonight. Uh, we're kind of turning the tables, and Walden is the person being interviewed. It is his birthday. If you'd like to call and wish him happy birthday, call with a question, call with a comment, call with anything. 714 <laughs> Five four five two zero seven one. And just reminding people, you can email the lemon meringue pie to Patricia at <laughs> Florida Writer at Hotmail dot com. That's Florida Writer at Hotmail dot com. That's me. That's me. Yes. Well, then, when did you start toying with the idea about wanting to become involved in broadcasting? I think since a little kid. Um, uh, since nine ten, I could imagine. Uh, having a Bible and giving sermons at the kid and having a little, uh, little makeshift microphone at a little desk kind of thing. I, I think I've always been intrigued um, by that. But I, I know I don't have <clears throat> the super-duper broadcasting voice. And i always been, I always felt my gifts, really, and a lot of things are administrative. I'm pretty reliable, reliable. You know, you give me a task and I get it done. And so I always felt uh, the production side, the producing side, is where my biggest assets are. So I broadcasting though as something like this, I I could daydream about it, but I never really pursued it. It just just sort of just happened. How did it happen? How did you and Bill Bragg and Yesterday USA and your studio, how did all this come together? I have to give complete credit to my second mom, who is Kitty Cowan, who celebrated her 89th birthday last week. Tell people who Kitty Cowan uh, is. Happy birthday. She's the uh, famous big band singer. In fact, you will hear her tomorrow night. Uh, she was on the air singing with Harry James and singing a song in Time Like Thee. 
over radio station WOR when it broke in and made the announcement of D-Day. So she's part of uh, U.S. history. Uh, so you can hear her at the top of the show tomorrow night. Um, anyway, here's an interesting story. Uh, December 14th, 1990. I don't know why Patricia thinks I have these things floating in my head, these dates and numbers and facts, but they're just up there. Anyway, it was a Friday night, and, uh, um, those of you who love what we do on Sunday, run a lot of Ray Bream interviews, I'm, um, I have collected and recorded a lot of interviews in my archives. I probably have over a thousand interviews. Uh, collecting all over the country, and uh, just something I think is important to have. Um, so, I knew Ray Breen was going to promote Kitty Cowan, who was one of the top singers of World War II, and I figured nobody was going to ask her about her days in radio. Because she was the uh, singer on the Danny Kaye show, she worked with Bob Hope, and she was my second favorite singer of that period of time behind... Doris Day. I think Doris Day is number one, hands down, and Kitty's is number two. And so I called in, and I said I was a big fan. She was my second favorite singer of Doris Day. That made her good, feel good. She thought highly of her ability, too. And I started asking questions, and then they realized I had the stuff. I had the stuff. And the nice thing, they've been looking for the stuff. And so they decided to take me off the air and get my phone number. And on a Sunday, two days later, her husband, Bud off, called me. And we hit it off well. So I sent them the stuff. And that struck a great friendship. They wanted to become my friend. Um, and then they pretty much adopted me, and, uh, I kept, thanks to all my contacts in the old-time radio hobbies, starting in 1990, I started to look for all the stuff, the radio. When you say adopted, I want to make sure that people understand, you're not an orphan. No, I have a wonderful family, but, you know, it's nice to have other people who want to become your family. But it, exactly. Okay. I'm, I'm, thank you for explaining it that yeah. way. Yeah. Um, when when you say adopted, it can have so many different I meanings. Know. Thank you for pointing that out. But uh, I am really uh, uh, I'm in the well. You know, anyway, we'll just pick that up story later. Hello there, Carl. You are on the air. Am I on the air? You are on the air. Am I, am I really on the air? Well, we can we can hang up and you can call back. We'll oh, make sure we're on the air. Ron, thank you for getting out of bed. I would have 
played it for you right on the beginning of the show, but I'm sorry. We were going to surprise you with all that, but I was, I had to play for my mother's, um, my, my friend's mother's funeral. Aww. And I couldn't be there at the beginning of the show, but I'm, but I wanted to make sure that I played it as soon as I got in the house. Well, you did it. You did it. I told Patricia we're going to be on for 17 hours, and she said, what? You know. <laughs> what? And you are so special for doing that. Hey, listen, if, if Patricia wouldn't know what to do if you were off for 17 hours, and she wouldn't be able to do a morning show because she's fast asleep. I know. <laughs> yes, yes, she could do a morning show. She just wouldn't go to bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. I mean, I have never, ever met anybody so chipper and so up up uh, as much as Patricia at around 4.30 in the morning. I know. She she looks at her computer and says, there's stuff to be done, and she stays up to do it. It's amazing. It's funny. You know? It's amazing. Well, good buddy, I want you to know that we love what you do um, to make uh, people like us remember the good old days and how much joy your show brings up for the, for the interviews that you are able to play f for our enjoyment Saturday and Sunday and even Friday with um, <clears throat> and you know it's yeah. with Frank Brazil it's, yeah. it's a wonderful you guys don't realize how much joy you bring to people's lives by well I think it's I think it's just a hoot that we create our own little family who gets together on the weekend. You know, Patricia, Ron, Walter, and everybody else who wants to become a member of the old, old family. And we all share the same love of this little hobby. So it's just a, a big, it's a big, funny deal, you know? Some, some of the shows, actually, I don't know about other people, but I know <clears throat> I can get pretty sentimental when I hear some of the shows that you do play because it just reminds me of, uh, the good old times that I had with my grandmother, yeah. who used to take care of me when I was a youngster, and and how <clears throat> how at her house she had this big console radio, they would sit around and just enjoy listening to some of the the shows that you play, and it, it's so it's, it just brings back some great memories. Well, that's why. Well, then Patricia, thank you for your generosity and stuff. Gosh, well, then have a happy birthday and. Whatever there's left of of the day, have a good time. Thank you, Ron. Thank you, Ron. Later, okay? All right, pal. Aloha. Aloha. Uh, there he goes, eating his Cheerios. Oh, you got a birthday song, huh? Oh, my oh. goodness gracious. That's pretty neat. Oh, how special. That was, I got tears in my eyes uh, listening to it. That was so neat. He did a little jazzy style, too. Seven one four five four five. Two zero seven one. You can talk to our special guest, Patricia from Florida. Seven one four. Oh, we've got this backwards. <laughs> we've got Walden as a special guest tonight. I am doing an interview with Walden. Please call with questions. Please call with a happy birthday wish. It is his birthday, and for a whole bunch more hours because he's in California. It'll be his birthday. And I took a nap this afternoon, so I'm I'm wide-eyed and bushy-tailed. Rut row. Yeah. <laughs> I'm doomed. I'm doomed. Walden, you were talking about Kitty Callan, and you gave us a, a, a rundown on who she is right. and how, how she got into your life. Right. Now, how did that instigate or how did it trigger being involved in Yesterday USA, being involved in broadcasting, having your studio sure. set up, meeting Frank Brzee? How did all that come together? Well, 
It's a great story. Here we're still back. We're still we're still 20 years ago. We haven't even gotten to this point. So anyway, um, Kitty and Bud are. Uh, here's a little scoop. Uh, how Hollywood worked. Back in the 1940s and 30s, you basically had two groups in Hollywood. You had Group A and Group B. Group A with Frank Sinatra and his wife. Group B with Bing and his wife. And they basically had two cliques in Hollywood. Uh, Kitty had friends in both camps, so she didn't say who she knew, so she was always included. So her, her range of contacts were just extraordinary. And her best friend for many years has been uh, Nancy Sinatra Sr. And so, uh, after I got started looking for the radio stuff, TV stuff, film stuff, and I'm calling record stores all over the country, Patricia, record companies. I'm contacting private dealers who have in the film, the short studios, networks. I'm digging. What are I, you looking for? I'm looking for her guest shots on her radio shows, TV shows, film, things that a lot of the entertainers never kept. Uh-huh. And so I really got a strong reputation that if you wanted to look for something, you ask Walden to go look for it. And so word got out through Kitty Friends uh, that that's when the Sinatra family asked me to go look for all Frank stuff. Uh, so I had gigantic research jobs. I mean, my my good thing I was getting good thing the money covering for the phone bills because you know my phone bills and this is before the days of free long distance going to get up there when you're calling all over the country and looking for a, a 78 record and I would get these books that listing 278 record stores and I'm calling each one of them anyway. So I had pretty much a full time job doing research and uh, research and all. This is before I even had the internet. And so, anyway, I wound up being very close to Kitty Cowan, wound up being good friends with the Sinatra family, and starting to do other work. So, I was included uh, in social gatherings uh, with a lot of people. So, when Kitty and Bud, when they would spend time, in ho I was always included, meet a lot of new friends who come out. And that's what I meant being adopted. I was not just a normal... A hobbyist who just found a couple of recordings. I was mm -hmm. basically adopted into the entertainment business. And a funny story, uh, well, when Kitty lost her husband back in 96, um, they had a gigantic memorial service out here at the fire club. So we were there, my family, and we were probably a little unusual because everybody else seemed to know each other in the, in the, in the, uh, Society is, you know, old Hollywood, you know, been around for 56 years. And so we go over to Marge Everett house and you see Red Buttons and K-Star and Phyllis Dillard and everybody, knowing everybody in the Sinatra. So once we walked in and the Sinatra family said hi to me and put their arms around me and gave me a hug, I guess we were the talk of the town because people wanted to know who the heck were those strangers, mm -hmm. you know, so... So Phil Dillard would come over, Case Dillard would come over, everybody would sure to want to know who we were. So it's always sort of interesting uh, when you're sort of the unusual. Uh, <laughs> when you get to be the odd person out uh -huh. for all the good reasons, uh -huh. it's terrific. Yeah, 
And so they're almost drafted. Anyway, sort of interesting dynamics that way. So, I'm trying to give a background here. Thank the kitty. I had all these unbelievable contacts. And one of the parties I was invited to uh, were the top movers and shakers of the music industries in, in L.A. And they were George and Tess Russell. George Russell was Johnny Mathis' agent for 40, 45, 48 years. And Tess was Gene Autry's Girl Friday. He was the one that ran uh, KNBC, which was the number one music station in L.A. And her Rolodex was unbelievable. Her contacts were unbelievable. Uh, when they, when, um, when the girls, seniors, Connie Haynes and Kitty Cowan, found out other seniors were on bad financial straits, um, they would combine and start an organization uh, called the Society Senior and ask Tess to help do the fundraising and so nobody would turn Tess down because they would do fundraising to take care of people who we grew up with listening to in the 30s, 40s, 50s and 60s uh, because of the economic structure of the industry uh, would fall on financial uh, hard time and needed the grocery bills, the rent bills to be paid. And so this, this is the type of people I fell in with that had all these enormous contacts and resources. So, anyway, so I've known these people from 1990 up to 2000. Well, I knew about Yesterday USA from the mid-80s and 90s, and I was trying to get my TV cable company to turn over to pick up Yesterday USA. This was the day when we used to be on satellite and cable TV. And finally, I had a computer that talking things in the mid-80s, 86 or so. But finally, it took about 96 to 97 before I really had internet connection to start using the internet. And in those days, uh, if you recall everybody, the sound, listening to audio on the computer was terrible. It would buffer really bad. It would break up. If you had really cheap soundboard equipment at that time, you would really never get the... Uh, a really good stream, and I one of the first stations I wanted to go listen to was Yesterday USA. I'd known about it since the Gasman's been on since '86, and they would talk about Yesterday USA, and Bill Bragger would make a guest show on a Christmas show when they used to do a live Christmas Eve marathon, and so I knew the station, and I tried so hard in '97. Uh, finally, got upgraded better c computer equipment, and by '99. I had a good enough computer that I um, would listen to Yesterday USA, especially Bill and Mike. And um, I think people who sure knows me pretty well, I tried to fly an, underneath the radar a little bit. In other words, you have to ask me questions. I don't normally just spill out everything I know. Um, except for tonight, where you're just hearing me spill out everything. Anyway, um... Bill and Mike would play something, and they would have no clue who they were playing. Or then, or, or they would ask, I wonder who this was. I wonder who that was. And that used to sort of drive me nuts. So I would call in and say, that was so-and-so, and this was so-and-so. You know, give them a quick little fact and, and get off the air. Just sort of help 
help them out here and there. You know, they didn't know who I was. I didn't. I I didn't say who I was or my background or anything. I just they if they had a question, I would call in. And that pretty much was solved from 1999 uh, to September of seven. Well, I think we brought the camel back. They were playing some Kitty Cowan songs of, of the band orchestra, like Harry James and different things he sang with. And we said, I wonder who that singer was. And I would have to call and say, that's Kitty Cowan, and she's still alive, and I know her. And so that's all I would say. Well, eventually, I think they heard me say that enough time that Bill said, would you, would you have Kitty on the show? And I said, sure, let me arrange that. And I was back visiting Kitty at her home in New Jersey in uh, 2000. I said, Kitty, they would like to have you on. What do you want to do with me? Sure, Walden, you, you arrange it. Just remember, make it late in the evening possible, because Kitty's not a morning person. She's like Patricia. I don't know what it is. All the females in my life, none of them like to get up in the morning. Anyway. Yes, sir. It's not that we don't like to get up in the morning. It's like we, it's, we like to stay up late at night. <laughs> We'll put this in positive terms. That's true. You gotta, you got get things done during the day, and you just like to you know, stay up at night. So anyway, so any, So it was a late at night interview. Uh huh. And it probably was too early in the evening anyway. It was nine o'clock Eastern, and I think she'd been happier with later. But anyway, so it went for almost two hours and twenty minutes. I still have it. And basically, she likes me calling her mommy. That's her. She, she basically viewed herself as my second mom, and I'm pretty much taken care of that way. And so, you know, my, my folks are good, good folks about that. She, they know Kitty is my second mom. And so, I think Bill was trying. I was used to encourage Bill to start bringing back the interviews because for a couple of years he wasn't doing it, and the Gasmans were off doing their own things, and so. He made a deal, had the Gaffman do interview one Sunday, and he offered it with Kitty, uh, would I produce interviews the other day, the other Sunday. Uh-huh. And he said, why don't you talk to Kitty, see if you want to do this. So I talked to Kitty, and I said, Kitty, you think Tess Russell would help me? Tess is you, it was Jean Autry's right hand. So she called Tess, and Tess got on the phone, Three days later, call, well, she called and she hands me 18 phone numbers. These are people she's already talked to. Pat Boom, Patty Page, Joe Stafford, uh, Rosemary Clooney, K-Star. I mean, just handing me the entire roller deck. Go at it. You know, I, mean, I already talked to most of these people. I mean, I mean, so I, uh, you know, I, I was handed a pretty good jumping off point right off the bat. And then I realized I was going to, you know, need to supplement it. So I started to uh, go on, online, everybody, and look at 20,000 addresses of names who were still alive. And I went through all that list, and I cut it down to uh, about 200, I recognize. And I get a good bat average. So just a cold letter uh, put in the mail. I get about 20% response for people who who willing to respond to me and say yes. And I think that's pretty good for a cold contact. That's how I got Harry Truman's daughter, Margaret. I mentioned that, uh, that I had a copy of the radio show she did, and she, she called me. I've completely forgot about that. <laughs> I'd be happy to do that. You just, I just got have to, you have to do one, you have to promise me one thing. All right, Mrs. Truman, 
Don't give out my phone number. So that was the only restriction I had to have to agree to get an interview for Margaret Truman. You can live with that. Yeah. So I, you know, and then thanks to the, being a part of the old-time radio hobbies, I spurred back since 79, and attending, I uh, attended 32 conventions, I have met a lot of these performers, having dinner with them at the convention. And being such the youngest one, a lot of them knew who me and my family was. And so I knew who was still alive, and I would keep a running out, and so I made contact with a lot of them, and a lot of them said yes and come on with us. So, so through all that, Patricia, I was very heavily booking guests uh, almost seven nights a week, sometimes four or five nights a week for the station for the first year and a half or so. Until, it was before your studio was built. Yes. Tell about your studio. How did that get put together? Uh, well, Bill Bragg um, always tried to think ahead. And he was thinking about the days when Frank Brzee might want to start cutting back. In other words, Frank loved playing in his studio, making shows, sending them down to the station. And the house that Frank used was really his folks' house. And he wanted to know if someday Frank decided to no longer make tapes, he's always wanted uh, Frank to be associated with the station. And he always thought the best thing to do is basically have Frank have his own live show. And I think for a while he thought maybe him and Bill, Mike would do it, but he just decided, and you have to ask Bill why he decided that I would be the right person to do it. So he asked me, and I said, I need to talk to my mom and dad. I mean, this time, my poor mother, she looks in my bedroom and says, thinks everything's going to sink to the floor. So I figured I better ask permission before I have a studio built in here, considering I have 10,000 cassette tapes and 3,000 CDs and all sorts of goodies in here. You know, you know. I'm get a little room. So she was good about it. She said, can you fold it, fold it away and put it away? And I said, I think I can. I've been grateful I didn't have to do that. I've been standing up for the last eight years. It's on a um, four-foot table by two-foot table. And all the equipment is just sitting on this little table. It's next to my computer and next to my bed and looks out, out to the street of a window. And you tap into Dallas, yep. the station in Dallas. Mm -hmm. You call me and get us all through the station in Dallas. We get callers from the outside, and you pump them through the station for broadcast in Dallas. Yep. I have three. I don't want to know how to do it. <laughs> it's pretty simple. What? It's pretty simple. Um, <laughs> my dad, Bill Bragg, is, is a engineering genius. He built this system, marked it, and mailed it to me. And via phone, my dad and Bill Bragg put this whole station together in six hours. By phone. By phone. And then Bill... Working ever since? <laughs> plugged everything in. They had to say, he, Bill would say, now take that red color line, plug it into that hole marked blue. Put that, plug that in. So my dad put it together. In six hours, over the phone. And here you are. Here I am. And then Bill trained me over the phone. That I could run the whole board by myself. Now, do you do this by touch? Uh-huh. I, well... My, tell, me, tell me what you what you actually put your fingers on when you are running the controls, when you're switching from automated system over to you, when you're calling. Tell me what you're looking at and what you're feeling. 
I'm saying, Warden, is this worth all the trouble? No. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> what you're feeling, tactile, fingers. <laughs> um, I, uh, basically, my, I, I sort of know in my head where everything's at on this table. In other words, I have Patricia. Patricia, you're over here. You're over here, Patricia. But, that means, that means... On I, a switch, am I on a phone? You're am on I a on phone. A line that plugs into your soundboard? Yep, you're on a regular phone, the house phone, everybody. Can, you should call me during the day. You get the regular house. And there's our studio. Hello there, Carl. You are on with Patricia. Hello, Patricia. Happy birthday, Walden. Thank you, Jim. Hello, Jim. Hello, Patricia. How are you doing? I am fine, thank you. How are you doing? I'm doing fine, getting all ready for our big show next Saturday, of course. Yes, with Dennis Hart and Teddy Thurman and everything. I just talked to Dennis, just reconfirmed it, mm -hmm. and I said that you had talked to Teddy, so yep. everything's on track there. Yep. Going to be a special day today? Do anything special? Went to a Mayflower picnic, the first time I ever went to a Mayflower function. Yeah. Had hot dogs and ate so much, I went home and took a nap. Okay, and then well, I got that up is and a nice way to celebrate your birthday. Yeah, got up and uh, had New York steak and a lemon pie, and we got one slice away. Patricia wants it, but I think my brother's going to grab it. Yeah, what, what was that going. about? What did you get with that thing? That lemon pie. Lemon, lemon meringue pie. We have one slice in the house. Patricia have asked for it, but I think my brother's going to get up to go to work and get it before she will. So. Well, you'd have a long way to ship it, I guess. <laughs> Hey, what, I guess. That's right. Well, email, you know. Yeah, well, that's, cyber food. That's right, that's right. Patricia's big on cyber food. Proximity wins. The closer you are to the pie, the better your chance of getting it. Yeah. My pie. That's right. Yes, it was, uh, so I'm glad you had a, a nice day today. Had a super day. And I'm yeah. um, thinking about June, uh, June 5th. I was thinking this was, I'm trying to think of, uh, I have a, I was thinking about some radio shows from June 5th. I have a few I thought of. Uh -huh. I, I have an NBC News of the World with Morgan Beatty from 47 on June the 5th. And a soap opera called Laura Lawton from that day. Right. Let's see. Um, I, what celebrity was born June the 5th? That's my trivia question for tonight. Um, and what two well-known well political figures passed away on June the 5th in American history? No, let me think. Uh, on the birth, uh, is this, is, is, is this person in our era, the radio era, kind yeah, of? Yeah, it's a radio. Western. Uh, what? His widow's still alive. Just Gene, Gene Autry? Nope. Not Gene. Gene was born on my mom's birthday, September 29th. Oh, that's right, of course. Yeah. And I know it, it isn't Roy. It isn't no, Roy. No, it's not Roy. Uh... His, 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 his widow just wrote a brand new book. Um, about her life with her husband. William uh, Boyd? Yes. William Boyd was born June the 5th. Hopalong Cassidy. Cassidy. Yeah. And then, uh, two well-known American, pers uh, uh, political figures passed away on June the 5th. Let's see. Uh, I, gee, because I look at the New York Times, Robert Kennedy. Right, Robert Kennedy. Oh, that's right, that's right, yeah. of course. Yeah, and then, and the other one passed away six years ago. Uh, Ronald Reagan. Correct. Was, it, was that June 5th or yeah, June 6th? it was 5th. It was on my birthday. Okay. Yeah. That's right. That's right. It was. That's yeah. Because right, the next day was the 40, uh, 50, 60th of D-Day. Right. And the president was in was in Normandy. That's right. That's I right. remember Chuck Shaden interrupted his program to announce Ronald. That's right. Yeah. June 5th. That's right. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. 
that was quite a uh, two very famous people. Um, so, any special question tonight? Patricia's interviewing. She wants to know my life story, so that's what I'm doing. I'm well, questions for you then. I'm spelling out my life story. Questions for Walden. I am doing an interview. Walden is my guest tonight. For his birthday, I am interviewing Walden, and when we get finished and we switch to the regular show, I have some information. This is talk about, I mean, there is no segue into this, Walden. We've got Walden at the first half and soap at the second half. I've got some information about various soaps like Lifebuoy and Lux and Palmolive and a couple of others, and it's really a lot of fun information there. So I hope to get, we're having a little trouble with the phone service right now that, you, that I get to hear your program on. Something's wrong with their system right now. I don't know what the story is. You know, when you dial the number and uh -huh. listen over the phone, they're having uh -huh. a technical problem. Not with not with your service. It's not on your end in uh -huh. Texas. It's it's there wherever their system is. Whatever. They're up in New York or somewhere in the Northeast. Yeah, it's just not coming through, but maybe it will in time. Uh, I guess one question I will ask you, Walden, if, if, if I know you do take guests, uh, you do take when Patricia interviews, the listeners can ask questions of the guest. Uh -uh. What inspired you? What were you going to say? I was just saying, okay, uh-huh, yeah, yeah. What radio shows truly inspired you as far as their value, their core values, their, I mean, um, their, the entertainment value, the, the comedy or drama value? Is there any radio show that truly affected you when you first heard it? Um, I, I can tell you what I'm very sentimental about, okay. uh, um, and it touched my soul a lot. It's the Lux version, It's a Wonderful Life. Mm -hmm. I think all of us know some way or another can relate to Joyce Bailey. Yeah. And I, 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 I've been known to cry a little bit after the end of that show. Because I think the way Jimmy Stewart uh, portrays Joyce Bailey, I think it's such a uh, um, true true statement of us individual having uh, a reason to live, a reason why we're down here. You know, I think we're... I, I, I'm always, if you're talking about something that sort of really touched my soul and I can, can relate to and I think the values of, I, uh, that would be on my list. Did you hear Did you hear the radio version before you saw the movie? Yep, sure did. Okay, yep. that, because that may make a difference. Yeah, I, saw, I heard the radio version before I ever saw the movie, you bet. Okay, because I was curious about mm -hmm. that. And then what show, do you remember the radio show that truly made you laugh the most the first time you heard it? I think, um... I always love my first Fibber McGee and Molly record album, and you probably would, you would know this, Jim, that I just adored, and I think Patricia can relate to. On one side, with the dressmaker, when uh, Fibber uh, destroys Molly's dressmaker, and she just forces him to be his dummy. Mm -hmm. And the other one that I love, uh, but it's the magic. Oh, yeah. He invites somebody to tie himself up, and he decides to use the closet as his way to trap the robber. That was one of That's the first Trevor McGee I ever heard in its entirety. Yeah. It went to a station in Illinois, even before Chuck Shaden was running some old-time radio. That's the first Trevor McGee and Molly I ever heard. The first Jack Benny that I fell in love with was the uh, the one where Jack plays football with the Beavers. And he had Mr. F Professor LeBlanc in the front, and the Beavers sprang Jack but, and I also love the, the visual on the other Jack Benny show where uh, Rochester sets Jack Benny's bath 
and uh, Jackie Point was his rubber duck. Oh yeah. I I just I think those are cute imaginary uh, setup storylines. So. Okay. And and did you have a favorite? Uh, did you have a favorite? Uh, well, aside from It's a Wonderful Life, did you have a favorite drama that particularly impressed? Well, the suspense. Uh, I always have liked the Ten Grand. That was one of the very first ones I ever had. Oh yeah, it was quite a different quite a different thing for Lucille Ball. Yeah. I think why I was attracted to it. Uh, so that was my first true love of a mystery drama um, show. You know, I, when I heard uh, the other one she did, the uh, Dime a Dan, mm-hmm. I was very impressed with her performance in that. Because, you know, you think of Lucy as being funny, and uh, here she was with a killer near her, mm-hmm. and, and it was just something totally different for your image of Lucy Ball. Very much so, and I think... It was interesting for us little kids in my generation who got introduced to old-time radio, and a lot of personalities were still alive. So I knew who Lucille Ball was or Bob Hope or Bing Crosby were because I saw them on TV. So it was a natural transition for me. Yeah, well, uh, it was certainly uh, it certainly was. And do you uh, have you been able to? get the people in your age group, many more people interested in classic radio, like people you I, go I, th- I think the, that's where the internet comes into play. I think, um, you know, for many conventions, Jim, I was the youngest one at those conventions. So, you know, there's not too many people. Uh, the only one I was really a- able to introduce that I knew who enjoyed uh, my uh, age bracket was, and CK calls in here, Patricia met my friend Jeff Gilbert. Jeff is uh, six almost nine months older than I am, and Jeff, uh, I introduced him, so he would have an interest in old-time radio, but I think the internet and computer have came into vogue. That's where so many of us in my generation uh, have been exposed to old-time radio. So that's why I think it's in really good hands and good a good future for it. Well, I, I'm certain, and certainly places like Yesterday USA have certainly helped. Well, anyway, congratulations on your birthday, and I'll let Patricia continue her interview, and we're, may you have many, many more happy years of helping giving us years of entertainment. Thank you, Jim. Talk Thanks. to you later. Thank See you, Jim. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And there she goes. 714-545-2071. Walden? Yes, my dear? Do you recall I said this isn't going to be what you expected? Yep, I know. We're up to that point. Well, that's good. Yeah. Well, then what food do you not like, you never liked, and you never will like? <laughs> um, fish. That's the answer. That is the answer. I, I, it's the smell. The smell drives me nuts. I have a terrific smeller. <laughs> I, I could, I, at Breakout National Jamboree time, when you get 100,000 kids, and we would eat at troops or mess hall. We were sitting in these long lines. Oh, and we were yards and yards away. And I could describe what was going to be our dinner for the for the for the other kids. I could smell individual food blocks away. You knew what the foods were. Uh huh. Well, see, I did something that um, you aren't aware of until this very minute. That I sent out some emails and I called Kim. And I found out a couple of little things along the way. So we're going to be talking about them in between our real honest-to-goodness questions. Hello, Kim. Oh, oh, my 
I talking to? You're talking to Walden. Is that Walden I'm talking to? I hope so. Okay, Walden, this is Gerald. Hello, Gerald. How are you doing? Hi, Gerald. Pretty good. I only see you at the... You know, I always enjoy those conventions. I'm too far away to go to the monthlies. I know. Well, you know, Norman Corwin's Cor going to be there. Yeah, I saw that yeah. on uh, yeah. rep, the website. Yeah. Well, I check up on that every once in a while to see who's going to show up. Well, you know. Anyway, you were talking about you don't like fish. No. <laughs> I don't like, like fish. fish. Oh. You know, I'm well, I don't smell so good myself. Well, you then you're forking it. You're, you're forking it, you know. You know, if something smells... I guess you're going to eat it. Oh, you're too funny. Oh, Where are you calling the from? Town, so, you know, I'm used to the, the smell. But I was going to remark on... Uh, oh, by the way, happy birthday. I'm sorry, I should have said that. Oh, well, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, uh, sounds like you're having a great time. And I have to admit, I don't know Patricia. Well, Patricia. Oh, Gerald, this is Patricia. Yeah, I, I. This is the first time I've got to uh, gotten to listen to the program on Saturdays. I'm always someplace else. Well, Walden adopted me. Oh, probably in January. So on Saturday nights, I am with Walden, and it usually starts at about midnight. We do a Fibber McGee and Molly show, but lots of talk and trivia and prizes and all sorts of good things. Um, oh, but yeah, tonight I got time. out and play early. I am interviewing Walden for his birthday, and we are learning all of his deep, dark secrets. Yeah, well, I hope they're not too dark. Uh, well, <laughs> he's like himself. He's, he's... Gerald, where are you calling from? Well, I'm, I live in Lincoln, Washington, so I'm on uh, Pacific time zone. So it's okay. not quite, it's just, you know, the sun's been down a little bit, but I can still see the trees and whatnot outside. Uh-huh. I, so, I have a map, Gerald. I keep midnight. a map in front of me. And every time I talk with a new person, I get to put a dot on my map. So I get to put a dot on my map tonight. Thank you so much. Yeah, oh, you have a Washington map in front of you? Well, I have a United States map, so each time somebody calls and it's a new person, I get to put a dot somewhere on my United States map, so tonight... Oh, you're a sweetheart. I'm not new. <laughs> well, I, I, you I'm, and I have I, never I talked what, before, Talking though. about uh, radio programs, I was uh, brought up with radio programs, so I was used to them as a wee tad. Yeah. And... Um, let me see. I think uh, uh, Ron was just on there, wasn't he? Yeah. He asked uh, Walden what what uh, made him laugh and what made him cry and right. all this, that, and the other. Right. Did uh, did did I miss anything? Did he ask you what scared the life out of you? Um. Yeah, I think I I always felt oil on ease with some arch over stuff. Now you're talking. You know, uh, especially when a little kid of the show that really got to me. And I don't know what the name of it is, the three scientists, and they put some, they accidentally spell some, throw some chemicals out in the, out in the front yard, and the worms become the gigantic living monsters. And, you know, worms. Both of the worms. It yeah, was the revolt, all right. yeah, the revolt of the worms, and 
anything dealing with snakes, you know, they're right up there in my department of, uh, being, uh, up there that can keep me awake. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I think when I was a little kid, and, and this was radio, it wasn't a recording, you know, and, and our, my dad, he loved that stuff. <laughs> so, uh, uh, my brother and I, uh, we kind of of old-time radio, and we didn't even know it, you know, because we were too little. Uh, the one that... One that I think really scared me was the story of the the guy that went through some kind of a matter transmitter. It was somewhat like the fly. Oh, and, and, I haven't uh, heard except, that. Except uh, they didn't have part of a fly. They had parts of two different people and things like that. Wow. Well, I yeah. uh, I I know I you know, I don't think we have a recording. Arch Ober, his very first spooky play he wrote. He wrote of. Of a family attending a, a memorial service, and they're little bur- girl. yeah, they're burying their little girl, and she's alive. Yeah, that I can see why that could be very disturbing. Yeah, that, you know? that was too bad. But I think Ober himself said that he he was more careful with things after he heard about the repercussions of that. Yeah, very much so. It tells you how strong. I imagine you know uh, it would be something he wouldn't uh, probably. Uh, uh, that type of a reaction wouldn't come to his mind because he was just making an awful story. Right. Uh, didn't think about uh, how others might react to it, you know, right. in that fashion. Right. I, I wonder if writers especially have any idea how much impact they can create for people. You know, and... You get when, as you were talking, Walden and Gerald both, the thought occurred to me that a writer, especially doing the, the kind of work that Arch Obler was doing, if he started taking into consideration how people were going to react to what he was writing, he never would have been able to produce. Yes. Well, you're probably quite correct. And uh, whatever runs through a fellow's mind, or a lady's, when they're writing, you know... You get going on a story sometimes, and it kind of picks up and writes itself in a manner of speaking, because mm-hmm. as you go along, uh, things just kind of come to mind and run out onto the paper, <laughs> so to speak. Yes, it takes on a life of its own, and the characters you have developed have, uh, to you, are now predictable speeches, uh-huh. predictable words, predictable thought processes. So it's easy for them to, some people will say, take over and do their own writing. It's not quite what the situation is from my perspective anyway. But you're right. There's a particular way each character talks, and that's what they're going to say. Yeah. It's it's quite interesting. Uh, Earlier, uh, you... Uh, I can't remember uh, everybody that's uh, called tonight. All interesting anyway, and uh, the idea uh, came up about whether uh, dramatic radio was on the upswing. Well, it's kind of hard to say. Yeah. I would say from my end, when I've talked to my boys about it, and and I, I uh, would kind of kid them, you know. I would tell others, oh, we used to tie the kids to the chair and make them listen to the radio. <laughs> well, my son says, well, I wasn't so, Dad. He enjoyed those things, even though he grew up uh, with televisions. But uh, we had a local radio point. station uh, in Tacoma that played uh, old-time radio programs uh, in uh, well, it was weekend mornings, probably... Uh, 
Friday or Saturday mornings, and it didn't last long, you know. And in those days, I tried to record some of that stuff because I wanted to keep it. It was so interesting, and the cassettes were so horrible, and uh, and uh, I didn't have, I couldn't plug in straight into the radio because I didn't know how to wire into it. So I had a cheap little old microphone I used to. It was the one that came with the cassette recorder, you know. <laughs> But I, I, in fact, I still have some of those tapes someplace. Oh, wow. But anyway, the boys, uh, uh, the older ones said, well, they kind of like that. But uh, the younger ones, they, you know, it, they're too television-oriented, I guess. It's hard to say. Gerald, how old are your boys, your sons? i got to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the youngest one is... Uh, uh, almost said 78, not 78, 38. Okay. And uh, interestingly, though, he's one of the ones that does kind of like that old old stuff. So so he's he bored already. We don't have to recruit him? And not watch a picture, you know, a, a television picture. Uh-huh. Isn't that interesting? Uh, it, it, shows it, it would take quite a bit of research, I think, to decide for sure whether everybody would prefer to listen to old dramatic radio. Yeah. I, mean, I enjoy it because I heard it when I was a kid and so did my brother. And it's one of the things that he and I can discuss. How about comedies? Well, I tell you, one of our favorites was Jack Benny at the time that they were going to uh, uh, get Rochester to hook up the lights and he was worried about <laughs> plugging in the lights. Right, yes. Little man up at we call it Hoover Dam or Boulder Dam. Yeah, I can't yeah. remember in those days. Yeah. And uh, he just knew he'd plug the power in at the wrong time or something. You know how they would go on. Uh-huh. But uh, that sort of thing was a lot of fun. So we en enjoyed all of the Jack Bennys and uh, uh, Phil Harris and, and various ones, you know. I mean, uh, uh, it's just a lot of fun. And, you know, one neat thing about old dramatic radio no bad language no. oh yes no uh, uh, no sexual innuendos they didn't need it those terms actually nobody needs it but um, today's entertainment industry hasn't discovered that yet well I I think they play you know uh, you listen to a program and after a while uh, some other program comes on and they try to outdo the first one on mm -hmm. on Ranch. <laughs> yep. It has to be bigger and better and more shocking. It's I, uh, value. Yeah, I agree. The, the older uh, uh, dramatic programs are pretty good. Some of them are dated. You know, they'll uh, have uh, they'll speak of things that are that went on there in the. If it's an old enough program, 30s or 40s or something like that, and, and so people wouldn't relate very well to that. Mm -hmm. But uh, uh, a lot of it's pretty good because it, it's uh, it's neat and smooth, and nobody's really getting hurt or anything like that. Good stuff. And it's just for fun. Good stuff. Yeah. Yes. It is. I better get off and give somebody else a chance, but. All right, well, I'll see you in three... Happy birthday, Walt. Thank you, Gerald. I'll see you in three weeks. I'll see you in three weeks and that loops. I expect so. All right. I'm happy to meet you, Gerald. Right, good night. Bye-bye. Good night. And there's our friend, Gerald Colby. 
2071. We were talking about lunch and things, and I think it's funny uh, that over the last five years in movies, nine out of top ten grossing films uh, have a PG rating. So, that's interesting. It's interesting. So, tell if you're really interested in making any money, you might as well make it for the family, guys, who, who will come to support your film. So, Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. Well, this is not for raunch or conversation. This is because your mom let me have it. <laughs> your mom said, are you ready for this? All right. Your mom said she has never served you fish because, not only because you didn't like it, and she's a very nice lady. I know she is. I've met her a couple of times, yeah. and she's really a very special person, so she wouldn't force you to eat fish. No. But she also said that you had perfected what she called a gagging thing when yes. you were a little kid. Uh-huh. It was quiet, but it was gagging yep. nonetheless. <laughs> yep, right? And yep. Uh, she wasn't going to risk it. <laughs> uh, so I was probably should have been a diplomatic court. Really? Uh, because I have a way to diplomatically say I really don't like something. Well, I think gagging at the table isn't it, Walt? <laughs> well, this is what I would do at home. When I was over at my grandmother's having Sunday night dinner, uh-huh. and when grandmother said, you Walden, why aren't you eating that little item? I said, Grandmother, I'm just quite not old enough to enjoy that yet. Well, aren't, and you did that as a kid. Mm-hmm. You are a very bright bunny. <laughs> wow. We are talking with Walden Hughes. Walden is my interview victim for tonight, and I get to ask him all sorts of questions before we get to our Fibber McGee and Molly segment. We're getting there, too, um, because he's already answered a whole bunch of my questions. But if you would like to wish him happy birthday, have a question, have a story, a Walden tale, please call us at 714-545-2071. Walden. We're back to old-time radio. It's safe to listen now. Okay. Okay. All right. I want three shows, three old-time radio shows that you think were the best performed, best directed, not necessarily the ones you like the best, but which were best done. Hello there, Carl. You are on air. You have saved Walden from uh, answering Patricia's hard question. Uh, speaking of old stuff, this is Nolan. Hi, Nolan. How you doing? Nolan? Good, how are you guys? Good. We're good. Good to hear from you. Well, happy birthday, Walden. Thank you, Nolan. I have ties older than you. Well, that's, that's, pretty, that's pretty amazing. But I also have a tie exactly like yours. Well, that's good. 44, pretty good. You know, the um, the, the, the tie you have for, has uh, the RCA dog on it. Yep, yep. I have one of those. <laughs> really? Do you really have a doggie? One of the, one of the ones with the horn speaker? I do, yeah. yeah. Don't you have one, Walton? I saw your picture. In yes, I have a picture. Yeah. I, I think I was wearing a, a Disney tie or something that had a little, one of those characters on it that was next to Frank Perceived's microphone, so... <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. I did not see that picture. Kim used to have it up there for years and years, and I think it's still under under one of the weekends, so maybe she's taking it down. It's, it's me dressed up uh-huh. in a suit and tie. And I'm in Frank Percy's studio, and you hear it. You have the microphone in here, YUSA, uh-huh. on the microphone, Patricia. So that's. I remember seeing that picture, but I did not notice the the dog on it. I the, didn't see that. You didn't see the little, the little thing on my tie. Well, yeah. I'll go back and look again. Okay. You have good taste. I try to be, you know. 
Well, I listened to all of your, uh, the people that you knew and you met and so forth, and it reminds me that the highlight of my career was I interviewed Smiley Burnett's cousin. Oh, my goodness gracious. <laughs> oh, my goodness. I'm kidding. <laughs> you know, I am so gullible. I am called the whoosh kid. Somebody will say something, and I'll say, no, kidding. <laughs> the words whoosh come up. It just, you know, goes sailing right over my head. I am so gullible. You're too young to know who Smiley Burnett is. I do so know who he is. Really? Somebody. Wait, Smiley Burnett was, um, was he on a cowboy show? Yes. Yeah. That's one. Now, can you figure out what cowboy show, Patricia? Um, Smiley Burnett. Smiley Burnett. Um, it wasn't Hopalong Cassidy. You're right. So it wasn't Hoppy. One down and 25 more to go. <laughs> it, was it Roy Rogers? Yes. Uh, yeah, several times. I mean, many times. Roy? So Jane Autry's. Yeah, Jane Autry. Oh, my goodness. I'm doing, uh, look how good I'm doing. You're doing really good. He had a song, I think it was a pretty big hit. Something about Froggy, is that, am I close on that, Marilyn? Didn't he used to have like a froggy voice or something? Yeah, it was uh, very unusual. He could go way, way down. Yeah. Sound like a bullfrog. <laughs> but, uh, Cute. <laughs> you mentioned Nathlon Cassidy. Who was his sidekick? Does anybody know? Uh, well, was he? He had a whole bunch of them. He had California, and he had... That's what I was thinking, huh? California. And who, mm. didn't he have somebody else that do the films? Oh, he had four of them, and I even wrote them out on a trivia question. Is that right? <laughs> Oh, this Willow Grace Boyd just uh, published a, a new book. A lot of good comedy timing, too. He, he was one of the better. Absolutely. But if, may, not Gabby Hayes. Yeah, that, that's, that was another Roy Rogers side. Kid. That's right. I understand Gabby Hayes was a very, very intelligent man. I, I bet you will never guess who Roy Rogers' sidekick was that was a vaudevillian and did a kid's show on television. And maybe did three. Or two Roy Rogers movies. Uh, so it's not Buffalo Bill, huh? Buffalo Bob? No. Would you ask the question again? Okay, this is a sidekick and a couple of Roy Rogers pictures. Very uh, unlikely, but he, he, he was in there, and he had a children's show in the afternoon, and he was a former vaudevillian. He had a network children's show. For pity's sakes. Dude named Pinky Lee. Pinky Lee, oh my goodness gracious. Yeah, well, no. Pinky had a pretty good successful TV show. I think, I thought it was based in L.A. I never knew it was national. I, I thought it was national. Wow. I, I, uh, uh, maybe mistaken. But, uh, no. Yeah, the, uh, you're talking about the kids show, right? Mm-hmm, correct. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, Pinky Lee, I never knew he was a sidekick. You know, well, I thought it was interesting. Um, I don't know, most people did maybe did not know that Roy could not read and write until he met Dale. Is that a fact? Yeah. And Dale uh, helped him to learn how to read and write. Wow. I think that's pretty amazing how far he made it through his career but not ha struggling with those with those skill sets. Yes. You know. And grew up in Ohio and Yep. Cincinnati. Pretty, uh, in the Cincinnati area. Yeah. 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 Buck Run I think was the name of the Little town, Little town. Near, near Cincinnati, and uh, they lived on a houseboat. That's right. Well, we called it a houseboat. Some people call it a boathouse. But uh, anyway, one other point that I thought of while you were talking about all the uh, memorabilia that you came across in uh -huh. radio in the 70s. Yeah. I think the 70s was a rich time for nostalgia. I don't know why, but if you look back, that was the time that the Lone Ranger was being rerun. Right. And, and programs like that. Yep. 
guessing right where your your interest would really be peaked because there was so much available. I think you're right, Nolan. I I think I was I was born at the right time. Uh, can or had a free running on radio and, and on TV. I mean, you know, or if you think about it, uh, our local station and probably the same thing throughout the country were all shown reruns of the classic westerns, TV shows, and comedy shows on daytime television. Sure. There's, there's a voracious appetite for programming. Right. That really fit right in. And so I think I think my generation was exposed to all that, and uh, if we gravitated to the radio, you had Charles Michelson and guys who was making a living syndicating those shows nationally. Uh, it, it just connected. It was, you know, the 70s were the right time. And I don't know, I mean... Maybe you can help point this. I think you're a good good example of this, Nolan. Um, for the audience, by 19, in the mid-60s, in the hobby of all-time radio, there were really only 200 radio shows in circulation among the general hobbyists. Now, today we have over 200,000. And, no one, I mean, a lot of what we have are from the Armed Forces Radio. Did they allow you guys to... Make copies? How in the world did we get exposed to so many air checks from the Armed Forces Radio Services of the rerun shows, like the Lone Rangers and the Lux Radio Theaters? And did it allow you guys to make copies of that uh, when you were over in Germany? Or how did that? Why do you think they snuck out so much? Well, um, we did, actually. And at the, being at the headquarters, we had a copy of everything that was in, in the field, the affiliate, at the affiliate, mm-hmm. affiliate label. I switched my speakerphone. Can you hear me okay? Uh-huh, fine. I'm a little bit dumb. I don't know if people know that the, the, the library in Germany at one time had up to a million recordings, I've heard. I don't know if that's true or not. No one... Absolutely true, yes. Wow. It was huge. But that, we're talking about individual cuts on some albums and then some of the old Glenn Miller recordings. Yeah. Were right there, originals, if you can imagine. Wow. That were recorded from London and, and uh, various appearances that he made. But getting back on, on topic, we, we were allowed to... Uh, you reached a certain level in the uh, of uh, the chain of command, I guess you'd say, at the network. You were allowed to, to record anything you wanted to. We had freedom with everything except <laughs> except tape. We had to buy our own tape at the PX, and I, I think that was a fair deal. <laughs> and uh, we did. Uh, I was just a big nut about the Lone Ranger, and I recorded as many of those as I could get. Wow. And there are others that I find out now that um, there was a series called Captain Star of Space that I hear some collectors talking about. Yep. Demoning the fact that there are none, that there are only two or three episodes available. Right. We had the full run. You know, if I had known. If you had known. I could, I could have been in touch with you and found out what was rare. <laughs> well, gosh, Nolan, if you had enough money, if the service were paying you better money, you could have bought more blank tape, you'd have been the old-time radio dealer. Well, it, it's true, and uh, <laughs> but I was not that smart. I, I just got things that appealed to me and things that were unusual, uh, you know, unusual episodes of, of suspense or escape or those things. But I, uh, a quick Frank Brzee story connected yeah. with uh, Armed Forces Radio. That's where I met Frank, incidentally, even when he was touring around to the stations that broadcast his program. But um, he was working on getting the rights to uh, Dangerous Assignment, which mm-hmm. I think he now owns. He does, right. And so the, he wanted some people in, uh, producers in Frankfurt in Germany to see the uh, a episode or two of the show. But apparently there was a big problem with sending film through customs. Uh-oh. Oh. But there was not a big problem with sending a GI a package. <laughs> got it. So uh, he said, keep it a couple of days. If you've got a projector, you all can enjoy it. And-
you deliver it to such and such Strasse, you know, in downtown Frankfurt. And I really felt like the man called X or something. I was going through the... Wait, <laughs> a secret mission here. <laughs> and I think 40 years later, maybe the statute of limitations has run out on my crime <laughs> or Bill's uh, idea. Your secret is safe. I promise not to tell them where they can find you. <laughs> right, and I won't tell them where you are. Oh, I, I think that's a great arrangement. Thank you, Nolan. Nolan, I have your phone number. Would it be okay if I gave you a call uh, and talked about what time during July would be a good time for you to spend some on-air time with us? Oh, absolutely. Please do. I will do that. Okay. I don't know how I wound up with it. It's just in my computer. We d Oh, I did call you one time, didn't I? I think originally we were... Yeah, a year and a half ago when we were trying to um, set up some schedules for Christmas, I did talk to you. So that's probably where it came from. But if it's okay, I'd, I'd really appreciate being able to give you a call. No problem. I, I'd love to talk with you uh, offline. and We'll get that all arranged for July. Oh, that's great. We're having Christmas in July, everybody. Hey, uh, and Nolan as a guest. I'm just I'm really looking forward to that. Well, I am too, and I, I told my son about it, and he said it was, we'll be sure and get an air check for the uh, twins. Good. Uh -huh. Grandchildren. We'll definitely write uh, that. It'd be a great opportunity to do that. And next thing I want to hear is uh, you being interviewed, Pat. I don't know that much about you. Nobody does. <laughs> I'm, I'm the enigmatic one. You're a published author. I am. Well, that's the interview in itself right there. Oh, thank you. The end. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't, I don't do that. I don't think I have ever, well, that's not really true. I have on a couple of times allowed interviews. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like, you know, a Greta Garbo or anything. I'm just, you know, really a private person and I, I like turning the tables on other people, but I don't like them having turned on me. See, we, we can respect that, but uh, I'll leave that up to Walton. He's He'll pick on me. Good interviewer. He, he'll do it without you knowing it. Pretty soon we'll know all about you. <laughs> you can pick on me, but I'll, I'll impress you on how deft I am in uh, sidestepping questions. Maybe that would be a good thing. You want to, you want to do a whole night for you and I dancing around the question? That would be pretty interesting. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. But thank you for, for um, being interested enough to want to ask. Oh, listen, I'm very curious. Uh, <laughs> now I've really piqued the curiosity, haven't I? That, you got me curious because you sound like you're about 22 and you're so knowledgeable about all these old programs. It's, it's just amazing. See, I'm enigmatic. I'm a very good study. Walden sends me to all these different places and all these different shows. And, you know, I, I know I'm preaching to the choir here when I say I find a show, not a particular episode, but I find a show I've never come across before, and I listen to one, and I think, you know, this is pretty cool, and I'll listen to another one, and I mean, it's just, it's just been like a tumbleweed since I discovered this six or seven years ago. Well, that's great. I'm glad to hear that. I hope more people are exposed to it, and uh, down through the years. Yeah, I, oh, I hope so, too, and I've, I've been one of the people out here asking folks, well, how, how are you grooming the next generation? How are you reaching people? Where are they going to be coming from? How, how are they going to hear about it? So I'm, I'm on your side for sure, but I'm a newbie. I'm just a little kid in this. I introduced my son to it as soon as he was uh, around eight or nine years old. He would get to hear two Lone Ranger adventures in bed with a cassette recorder. Uh-huh. 
that was bedtime. And uh, now he's he has those tapes and putting them on CDs for his children. And he's going to cool. do the same thing when they become a little older, which uh, may perpetuate it some, you know, if, if a lot of people did that. Yeah, I, I, I really think we're in really good hands because I think with the modern technology, the cost of barrier can go down so, so low that we can share files, trade files, and it's going to be able to allow people to listen to it before they ever buy anything. And I think that's a wonderful way to introduce this this medium to people. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, everything is free now. I say everything. There is so much available online and so much being shared by hobbyists online that it is impossible to say, I don't know how to listen to old-time radio. You just can't not say it, it, it's there for whoever wants it it's there and i will continue to send out cds to anybody who wants them no joke that, that's another thing about your uh, background and your present uh, uh feeling about old radio that uh, fascinates me as well that you make these available it's so nice of you uh to do that and it's, it's such a treat for me to be able to do it there are so few things that are next to free that you can share with people and, and really please them or make them happy or, or make them feel like they've gotten a gift, which old-time radio is. So I'm just delighted to be able to do that. Well, you apparently have an endless source. I, I don't know where they're all coming from. but Oh, oh, my secret sources. I'll let you know where they are. <laughs> they're not secret. I'm just tenacious. I don't give up until I find something. Well, again, happy birthday, Walden, Thanks, and uh, I'll let you folks talk to some more folks. Sounds great. Thanks, Nolan. I'll talk to you soon. Very good. Bye-bye. Bye. And there's the one and only Nolan Kenner, who's going to be with us in July. Sometime in July. Sometime in July, because we are having Christmas in July. It's going to be like December and Christmas time and Santa Claus and everything, but it's going to be Christmas in July. 714-545-2071 is our number. Yeah, Patricia is asking me to walk through stuff. Uh, here is the stuff. I had asked um, which three old-time radio shows you think were the best produced, written, directed, performed, not necessarily ones that you like the best, but ones you think were the best. I, I think and I think uh, I think for overall production of quality, and that has matched it today, and I, and I think the proof is in the pudding, is the Campbell Playhouse Christmas Carol during Christmas Eve 1939 starring Orson Welles and Lionel Barrymore. And that production is going to live forever. I mean, it's still being heard on regular AM station Christmas Eve today. Mm-hmm. And I think because of the quality of the production, it was so good. Having Bernard Horman do the music score, having like English carolers, I, I think that has to be in the one top in the top three uh, productions that will live uh, forever. Tell me the date on that again, please. December 24th, 1939. Okay. That's Thank definitely you. one that uh, crossed my mind. Um, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily have to be individual shows or episodes. It can be... For example, Superman or mm-hmm. Sam Spade, mm-hmm. or uh, you, can, you can go for entire groups. 
ask the question again. We make sure I have the uh, ramifications all figured out. In terms of quality, three top-notch. The at the top of the list, three top-notch old-time radio shows that were best directed, best written, best produced, just best anything, but put them on the top of the list in terms of quality yeah. and great shows. Uh, and you don't have to like them. They just have to be. Yeah. I, 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 I'm going to go for overall quality, okay? Huh? It, it, it okay. I think that Campbell Playhouse, I, mean, I think the Hogs of Ivy fits there. That's not a show that people talk about. Uh, we're blessed to have the 78 or 80 shows available. But in my mind, that has the complete package of writing with Donald Quinn, the Coleman's, Ronald Benita, and the great radio actors. And I think it's a quiet, intellectual, stimulating, um, thought-provoking series that had quality from beginning to end. I think that's a great choice. Yeah. And it, it's, um, it's interesting that you mentioned intellectual. It is. It is. It appeals to um, I, that, that layer or stratum of uh, education. Mm -hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know how to say it. Um, what I'm trying to say is that it's broad spectrum. And, and I don't think, and they, and they did not go for the, uh, they did not consider their listener to be dummies. They didn't talk down to them. They didn't talk up to them. They were real people in real situations, and it happened to be an, ac an academic setting. Mm -hmm. And the shows were built in an academic setting. So I think that's a great choice. Thank you for that one. What's your number three? Um, let me throw, I'm just going to go off the wall. I'm going to just go. For, I'm going to go for quality here. Uh -huh. uh, and I'm not going to count Fibber, which I adored. I think it, it there's some. When you talk, I think that has a different. But I think a series that had terrific quality. In terms of writing, mm -hmm. uh, acting, uh, and a personality who I think was meant for radio, it's the six shooter. Ah, not very many people say that up front, and mm -hmm. as soon as somebody says it, they say, "Oh, yes, yeah. it's a fabulous show." Tell me what you think is. I think I think the stories are really creative. I think it's not a cook. It's not a cookie cutter show. You could have very serious drama. It could have a comedy feel. It could have a personal feel. And Jimmy Stewart is my favorite film actor who did radio. Uh -huh. and, and I just, I I think he could have been a, a successful radio actor. I really feel if the Six Shooter would have been on the air back in the 40s, that could have had a 10, 15 year run. And I'm, gl I'm glad we have the uh, 38 episodes. Because, I agree. You know, um, just as a, a quick thumbnail, Six Shooter was a western, a grown-up type western. It was not kid stuff with um, Little Beaver and The Lone Ranger. It was an adult western that kids could enjoy, starring James Stewart, and it had some really touching and poignant storylines that followed through there. But Rick always had people contact. It was a people show. It was about people. It wasn't about stolen calves. It yeah. was about people, you know. Um, it, so it, it really was a very high-quality show. Those are three great choices. Gosh, well, I bet, I bet you were expecting that. Now, let me flip over and... Wasn't expecting that? Yeah, I bet. Flip and McGee and Molly, I think what makes that show special, and I was going to say that, I think it's the, uh, it's the relationship with Jim and Mary and Jordan. Mm -hmm. that, that makes it special and all the other ingredients 
makes it work. Uh, I love the Girl Sweeve. I think it's the uh, I, I think it's probably because all the characters are are so distinct and visual and and unique. All the voices and the and I guess it's my propensity to a family oriented comedy. I guess. Um, I think that, you know, I, I think, uh, it's interesting, I'm a big fan of Lux Radio Theater. I, Patricia is not high on her list, probably because I think I've listened to almost 700 of them, and they're wonderful stories, and I can point out the ones in there that I think are written so well, that are timeless, and, um, you know, it's not your standard, uh, Cookie cutter uh, radio show that uh, they had to they had to um, come up with a story for the next week. You know, it wasn't a I guess what I'm trying to say. It wasn't a factory oriented show. You think about it. Lux was blessed to have writers from the film industry come up with a story that was viable, and you had really good radio ad- adapters to to catch could transfer those stories into into an audio medium and then the the carrying and the the five day rehearsal and having the stars and the top radio it's an intriguing quality show in my book. So that's just a couple of samples. I have a surprise for you. Yes. I'm learning to enjoy Lux Radio Theater. No kidding. I've been listening to them. I'm quite open minded. I you know what I mean, uh, there are... you, 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 you are a grown bunny. I am so. I'm going to be a big rabbit pretty soon. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, another one I would put on the list. Now, I think it's... I, I really have an appreciation for the Theater Guild. Um, uh, some of those shows are very stark, very dark. Because um, they were taken from the port stage. And I think New York stage had a tendency to be a lot more dark than the movies of the time. Mm-hmm. And, but the overall production quality uh, is different, but there's something uh, magical about it. I don't know why. So, just some ideas. And when, by the time we finish tonight, you're going to have 16 more on the list that are just as good as the ones you've talked about here, but they're great choices. You know, I really like that, especially because they're shows that people don't normally pounce on immediately. You know what I would have, a more difficult question would be for me, and I don't know if I would have an answer, what shows I don't like. Aha, uh-huh. we touched on that last week. Yeah, those are very hard for me, and I have a bias, folks, and I'll explain to you today, I'm... Maybe because I grown up with the prime rib of old time radio, the New York States of old time radio, it's very hard for me to listen to modern radio. And maybe it's because I'm so used to, and this is my inner ear, I'm so used to hearing old radio done in an old time radio studio or a theater that was adapted for radio, and when I hear today's radio, like the Twilight Zone, other the doing in some recording studio, it just it doesn't it sound. I, my senses are thrown off. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes has explained. I think the poor writers are, are taking a script and they're padding it. Um, and I don't know if necessarily we always get the best actors available to do, you know, to do it. And so, 
Brian and I, Hager and I would have a discussion on this, I would almost be willing to listen to old soap operas at old time radio, which most people would not spend any time with. Uh, they're going to do a lot of the modern drama stuff of today. Yeah. But I'm hoping with the production company that we can create, we can uh, have really high standards that w once we get in production, we'll meet those criteria. Because I, I think if radio was done right today, I think we have a better success. Uh, but that's just, don't forget my biases. I don't think they're biases. I think they're very valid observations. My goodness. Um, and you're right. We, we get spoiled on what has been made available from old-time radio. Mm -hmm. The shows were superb. There were some real woofies in there. <laughs> but, you know what I mean? What's, what's a woofie? What, does Patricia have a current woofie that she can nominate? A woofie is a dog. Let me that's think. what I mean. Um, well, yeah. a Blair of the Mounties, I think. Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's a woof-woof. The Green Valley Line. Yeah, that's a woof-woof. The Green Valley Line, I think, is even woofier than Blair of the Mounties. Woof, woof. Okay. Yes, I know. And I understand that the Green Valley line has just been... Somebody's going to have to help me understand what the term remastered means. But it's been revitalized and made available again commercially, which just blows me away. I guess there must be a fan club for the Green Valley line out there, Patricia. I guess so. So somebody has to accept, please, the assignment this week of locating the Green Valley line. It is out there on the freebie sites, listening to a couple of the episodes and then calling in next week and letting me know if I'm on target, that it's a woofy, or if it really is a pedigree dog. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one. That's, That's a, a great good one. one. Yeah. Okay. Here's, here's a surprise question, Walden. You think I know the answer? Well... Yes, I know you know the answer. I want to give listeners a, just a little peek at a side of Walden they have probably never seen or heard before. Now, Bill Bragg, of course, they know, is the founder of Yesterday USA, and he and his wife, Kim, live in Dallas where the station is, and Walden has been their guest quite a few times. Yep. Um, along with John Redmond, who is a Yesterday USA member and a super supporter. You'll hear Bill mention his name every once in a while. Yep. Walden, you and Kim and John Redmond have cooked up a practical joke to play on perfect strangers at a lunch counter. What is it? Oh, dear. Well, <clears throat> um... Go ahead. I, I, I'm trying to remember. We pulled a few of them off. Um, Already did. Yeah. The one that I learned about involves having an order of French fries. Oh, well, we, you know, um, we, I, we have a terminology. Uh, I, I am, I, I am blessed. I, I have, I, I have the life, I, I live the life of Riley. I, I go through life chauffeured around town, you know. I don't drive, so I have my chauffeur. So when I'm in Texas, I call him the posse, you know. Yeah, I'll try. and everybody, I get call him the, the posse. You know, I just, just you know. Oh, oh, no, it's either the no, no, it's the entourage. I call them the entourage. Yeah. So I told her it's either to call the entourage or the posse, so they chose the entourage. So... So if we're having a big gathering, you know, we're inviting, um, I'm just describing how this family reunion thing works. 
let's say we get together with a bunch of listeners and a bunch of odd, uh, babes, which is his second place, Bill has the tendency to run late. And Kim said, you know, round entourage and fan club are willing to talk to him. There have been people who've been willing to donate $100 to the station just to have lunch with me. They'll donate a penny to have lunch with Bill at the same time, but they'll donate $100. To... <laughs> so Kim feels it's important to have one day with the entourage on time. Oh my goodness. So, <laughs> oh my. So, we would, so she always would let Bill wait, come at his later speed and she would get me there with John. So, uh, so that's how I have, so the, I'm busy answering, talking to the people. And one time at the VU counter, we decided to, uh, I think it's this story that Kim tells, we decided to order food. And we figured, you know, what are the waitresses and people going to think if this blind guy orders uh, hamburgers and french fries and his two side companions are eating the french fries off his table and he doesn't know it? So I'm assuming that's the practical joke that Kim pulls That's the one. Yeah. They want you to sit at a table of highly visible mm -hmm. or a lunch counter mm -hmm. and order your french fries and they're going to come in as if they're perfect strangers mm -hmm. and sit on either side of you and start eating your yep. french fries. Yep. Yeah. That's we, a pretty cool practice. We, 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 we have, um, we have intellectual discussions of the, um, of, uh, crackers and soup. Uh, at Bill, at Bill and Kim, Kim is a wonderful cook. So, you know, anybody wants to go down to Texas and have some good meals, you go see Kim. Okay, she loves to cook, and she's a, a terrific cook, and... She want, sometimes wanted to make uh, tomato soup for us and grocery sandwiches. Now, so John and I were at the counter. You know, this, the way the house is set up, it's like a, uh, you got the uh, the drugstore atmosphere. You got the, like the drugstore and the ping, and the, uh, trot, not, you know, the pinball machine and, and, and the drug counter. So that's where the family could eat and John and I could eat up at the counter. Well, Kim showed us soup. Well, John and I had a total intellectual discussion. What is the proper amount of crackers that need to be put in soup? <laughs> and it makes him laugh when John and I get debating on the proper amount of crackers. And soup. And John would disagree. So, we would get on to these intellectual discussions on crackers and soup, and therefore Kim get cracking up, you know. That's, but, you know, I I don't know what about, she's from Pennsylvania, she's out there from the East Coast. You know, I was raised, my folks are from Nebraska, John is from in Illinois. You know, we were raised with grilled cheese with ketchup. That's what you do. You, you, you have a little side ketchup there, and you dump your grilled cheese in there. She's never heard that. I don't know what's wrong with the poor kid. I never heard. I never. That's not true. I have heard of crackers <laughs> in soup. I have never eaten crackers in soup. What? I know. I'm deprived. I'm deprived. I have a question for you. Yes. If you could have been, and this is a serious question, mm -hmm. if you could have been any one of the characters in any old-time radio show, which would you have chosen and why?
Um, I can almost see myself as a Todd Hunter the, of Halls of Ivy. I could see that um, that side of me being somewhat the uh, the college president uh, academic. I think it sort of inspired me to try to go after a PhD in, uh, in college. Uh, I wasn't accepted at that level, but I could see a small town, college town president who has such a good relationship with the students and would have a uh, comedy sense of humor who uh, would be loved by family and, and try to set up that atmosphere. So uh, there you go, Patricia. So you would be toddy. Mm-hmm. I really like that. Yeah. Do you have any interests? I know you do. What are your interests beyond old-time radio? Beyond, well, I have a lot. I'm pretty pretty well-rounded, as you know. Um, I have a love for um, U.S. history. Uh, I have a deep interest in presidential history. I can name you all the presidents in, in order without them and facts and figures about each one of them. Uh, I have a deep appreciation for music. I, put, I had five years of guitar lessons. Uh, I was exposed to country music, um, big band, classical. Uh, I, have a, I have a deep interest in current events and what's going on in the world. I have a interest in people. I have an interest in sports. Yes, uh, I get a baseball fan, big uh, college football fan. So baseball. I, uh, people who really know me internally know I have a deep uh, relates to spiritual side about me. I I spend a lot of time looking ahead in scripture and thinking about the big things in life. Because you know I I'm probably a little different. I had time to focus on that part of my life, not necessarily have to earn about making a living. Um, I'm interested in the uh, uh, how things work, how organizations work. I um, I do my fair share of volunteering lion clubs and trying to raise money for different events. Um, and I love people. I think they know that. So there's, there's some of the things. You are not 110% old-time radio. No. I want people to know that. No, it's just, um, I, I am not 110% old-time radio. <laughs> you are not. A substantial portion, but not the whole <laughs> thing. Um, I, I have just a couple of more questions, and, um, you know, maybe I'll even skip over some of them. But you have talked to, what, hundreds? Hundreds of people... Uh, and I'll call name recognition people, uh-huh. people who, whose uh, reputations or performances or histories, we know who they are. Yep. Out of all of those people, who are the most memorable or most admirable? Who did you admire the most? Oh man, I've met so many. Even in my private life, um, politicians and different people. Um, you can include private life. Yeah, I know. I'm just, I'm just boy. I'm just thinking. I, um, I, I, I have. Uh, well, let me just ramble through names, and I'll just uh, kick it off there. Um. 
I respected Pat Boone. Um, all the different things he did in life. Uh, that's one of the very, it was the second interview I ever did. I was a little nervous because Kitty I knew inside and out. And I knew the old time radio feel so well, the 30s, 40s. I knew I needed to handle that. Uh, when I, when Tess gave me this, all the backs and Pat Boone, her second interview, I asked Bill, could we have Mike online just in case Pat got into areas of show business that I would not have any knowledge about, mm-hmm. you know, so, um, that was, uh, um, that would be one, oh gosh, I would have to sit down and get, a lot of them get boring through my, uh, my, my life, of course, me, meeting and knowing Kitty was a big deal in my life, of course, then that became more of a special relationship, um, uh, I mean, I look at my lower deck, Patricia, and I'm sitting with the home numbers of some of the most well-known people of our generation, from the Sinatra family to the Crosby family to um, one time Catherine Crosby get called me and said, well, I, don't, I want you to come to my show. She left me, I'm at Dolores Hope house. I'm at a tree house. Here's their number. So I call over there and I, you know, they have to get, they have a switchboard set up over at the Hope Mansion, and they say transfer me to the treehouse. I mean, who, this little kid in Costa Mesa, why? How come is he gonna get these phone numbers? You know what I mean? I'm just, I look at that and I said, you know, it was meant to be. It was meant to be. Yeah. People have one more chance to call and ask you questions, personal questions, Walden questions. Seven one four five four five two oh seven one. What's the one thing you have always hoped people would ask you and never did? What's my favorite food? Walden, what's your favorite? <laughs> <laughs> but nobody asked me that tonight. I love my pizzas and I like my barbecue ribs. Well, I have a little story. I love my pizza and my barbecue ribs. Right, and your mom says steak, too. Uh-huh. I really did send out messages to people. What is your nickname? My nickname is Tank. Why is it Tank? That's, um, I don't go through life uh, gently. As my dad lovely calls me, I'm a bull in a china closet. In other words, um, I've lived in this house uh, since 82. And so I'm, I'm almost at top speed running all over back and forth the house. I mean, I'm, I'm just full speed ahead. I'm not gentle. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm tank. Well, that came out um, in elementary school. Um, and I'm naturally born strong. I was, uh, uh, I used to lift weights. I used to throw shot put in high school with sighted kids. I used to be lift weights with the football team. I could bench 340 pounds, weigh press 700. So I'm naturally, my dad played college football. I'm, I'm naturally very strong. And so uh, we would have games. Elementary school games, you know, you, it was like, you know, football games. So they throw the ball to me, I catch it, and then we would run around the playground. And I basically, I don't have any speed, but I thought, so all the kids, 10 to 20, five to six, eight kids would grab onto my back and I would get carry them around the playground. I'm a, naturally of a born, 
So, so one time we had PE, and we had a substitute PE instructor, a, a poor female, and we had ball jump contest. Can be a little dangerous for blind kids, you know, because when they jump, they don't know exactly which way they're going. Right. Um, and so they would, and so the competition was they would keep expanding uh, the rhythm. You know, take two strings and keep spanning, keep so you had to jump over it. But one time I took a major leap and I ran on top of the uh, PE instructor and knocked her out of, out of commission for the rest of the day. So the kids just started knocking, nicknaming the tank. Because I would go through four speeds in the hallway and it would be some, I could be a terror. I can believe that. Walden and I have met a couple of times. Yep. Uh, one time he was here in Florida visiting with his uncle, who lives not too far from me. And the other time was about two and a half years ago, I had an opportunity to go to a spurred back luncheon with some recreations and all sorts of good things going on. And I met Walden. And I have to tell you, Walden, you do not match what my brain said you were supposed to look like. Nobody ever does. I'm very, very bad at putting together a mental image of what people were supposed to look like. Um, Walden is husky. He's muscular. He's <clears throat> not short. Uh, I'm 5'6". I'm, I'm stocky. You know, you're, I, not, I, you're not a, a little pipsqueak by any means. No, I, I, have a, I carry a lot of weight in my thighs and hips. I, that's where my, my genetic tends I carry a lot of weight down there. You're built like a fire plug. Yeah, no doubt about it. Yeah, straight up and down. Yeah. And I have this image of a little teeny weeny kid with, who was skinny and... <laughs> My brain. You didn't look like you were supposed to, Walden. I know. Well, that's good. So, 714-545-2071. Please call and wish Walden a happy birthday. Um, I'm finished with my questions. What would you like to volunteer, or would you like to just kind of take a break and then come back for my Walden trivia question? Whatever you want to do. You, you want to stretch for a few minutes, and we'll, put, and we'll play some billion stuff, and we'll come back and... Start, we'll start playing games and trivia. We can play trivia, and I, I have your question. I'm supposed to now. I have an assignment from Finster in the chat room to make sure that I have one difficult question for Walden every week. Um, and I have one. I put one together for him, and I'll bet my nickel. <laughs> I have a nickel right here, and I'll bet it that you know the answer. Okay. Two-part question. So if we could take a little break, that would be terrific. And um, you give me a call when we're back online. All right, Patricia. And uh, with the, the, I, got the fair, I got the windows open. It's a hot summer night in California. So here's a little intro, and we'll be back. I didn't realize you were tuning the set yourself. And you could, oh. Listen. Silence, 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 silence,
Baritone Lawrence Tibbet and his spirited and colorful singing of the famous Toreador song in the role of Escamillo. In just a moment, as the Toreador, he'll be swaggering over to the gypsy maid and flirting with her as today's Metropolitan Opera performance of Bizet's Carmen continues. Oh, just listen to that applause. Well, he deserves it. The boy's got a nice voice. That was back in the early 30s, wasn't it? Must have been around 1932. 1932. Boy, what a year that was in history. Good and bad. There were three things happened that year that I guess most of us will never forget, Molly. Historic events, you mean? Yep. The Japanese took over Manchuria, Roosevelt was elected president, and a batch of Uncle Dennis's home brew blew up in the basement. Heavenly days. I'd hardly call Uncle Dennis's misfortune a world-shaking event. Mm, well, it sure shook the house, kiddo. Them windows rattled like this. Besides, Jerry, it wasn't home brew. It was root beer Uncle Dennis was making. Well, he put a little too much yeast in that batch. I remember his Sunday vest was hanging on the basement steps and four bottle caps went clean through it. Well, let's not discuss it now, because I... I even wrote a poem about it at the time. It went, yeast is yeast and vest is vest. Please, McGee, let's skip the rest. Okay. Yeah. 
setting. My, there were some wonderful programs started back in those years, McGee. The early 30s, remember? Yeah, a lot of great comedians. Jack Benny started on NBC about then, didn't he? Yes. Burns and Allen. Mm, their cousin Fred. I guess people were ready for laughs in those days, dearie. After the market crash and the depression, the people needed a laugh. Well, they got them, too. NBC had some of the greatest... One of the mysteries of show business... Oh, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. ...comparative obscurity of Joe Penner. Somehow he has oh, never had... Oh, Rudy, that! that I'm sure uh, Penner was funnier. Oh, was I ever dreamy about him? Joe Penner? No, I think Lynn. Joe is a really great comedian, and I'm sure you will soon agree with me. We present Joe Penner. <laughs> Hello, Rudy. Oh, yeah, you want to buy a duck? No, Joe, I don't want to buy a duck. Why? Why? Because. Well, uh... Maybe your brother would like to have one, huh? I haven't a brother. Uh, well, if you had one, you think he'd consider it? No. Under no circumstances? Under no circumstances. You nasty man! Yes. What's on your mind, Joe? Really, I, I, I like to tell a little joke here while I'm out Go here. Go ahead. Well, it's a, it's a two-people joke, you see, and you gotta have two people to tell it. So I'll go out and get another fellow. No, wait, wait a minute. What's the matter with me? I'll be very happy to assist you. You want to be one of the people? I'll be very happy to be All one right. of the people, yes. You'll be one of the people, and I'll be the other fellow, see? All right, fine. I'll come up, and I'll meet you over here. I'll come up and say, hello, Rudy, see? And then you say to me, hello, Joe. Yes. That's my name, Joe, see? And then I'll say to you, why is a kiss over a telephone like a straw hat, see? Let me see if I understand this correctly now. <laughs> you say to me, why is a kiss over a telephone like a straw hat? Yeah, and then you say, I don't know. See? And then I tell a joke. We separate now, some of them. Hello, Joe. No, no, you gotta act. You gotta do it with feeling. Oh. Hello, Joe. How are you? How are you? <laughs> Sorry. Hey, that's too much feeling here. Why is a kiss over a telephone like a straw hat? Because it isn't felt. I'm going out and get another fella. Oh, now, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, no, you say, I don't know, I tell a joke, because you tell it, there's no sense to me coming on here. I got another one. All right, let's hear it. I'll say to you, uh, what's the easiest way to raise corned beef and cabbage? See? What's the easiest way to raise corned beef and cabbage? Yeah. And then you say, I don't know, see? I'll tell a joke. It's my turn! <laughs> <laughs> What's the easiest way to raise corned beef and cabbage? With a knife and fork. Uh, <laughs> don't ever do that. <laughs> uh, this is the last one. I'll say to you, uh, what kind of a chicken lays along it? What kind of a chicken lays along it? Yeah, that's what I say to you. Right, you say to me... Can you say? I don't know. I don't know. That's it. I don't... Give me a chance, will you please? Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> what kind of a... A dead one! <laughs> this is just a wonderful idea of yours, McGee. I don't know how you ever thought it up. Radio? Oh, I didn't actually think up radio all by myself, Molly. There was a guy named Marconi that gave me the idea. No, no, no. I mean fixing this old radio to tune back into the past. Know who that is? Ah, Ben Bernie. Yep, the old maestro himself. Remember how him and Walter Winchell used to razz each other? They had some of the... Love me forever. Winchell, I hope you're listening. (laughs) 
That reminds me. I don't know why all them oil companies have to go to Ethiopia for gas when it would be just so easy to lay a pipeline direct to Winchell, if you know what I mean. This is Ben Bernie, the voice of experience speaking. Elsa. And now the time has come to lend thine ears to au revoir, pleasant dreams. Au revoir, pleasant dreams. Think about it. When requesting your theme. Au revoir, a fond cheerio, a toodle-doodle, a bit of a tweet-tweet, God love you, and pleasant dreams. Pleasant dreams. Boy, him and Winslow used to insult each other right and left, didn't they? Yes, but you know something? I always had a hunch they were just joking, McGee. I think they really liked each other. You think so? Winchell was one of NBC's big stars in them days, you know. He did his first broadcasting there. That's right. Matter of fact, I'm the guy that helped Walter get his start there, Molly. You got Walter Winchell started at NBC? Well, it was in front of NBC, as a matter of fact. His car was stalled, and I give him a start with my car. But, <laughs> hey, if we ever bump into him again, remind me to ask him if he found my front bumper guard hanging on... Get something funny. Yeah, that's a good idea. Pull yourself together now. What is this sound I hear? Bill, Bill. Ah, that's the stuff. I at the house the other day. I told him to give me a couple of pills. Boy, he was What great. for, Bill? One I of was them. Uh, suffering from swollen flies. <laughs> Sitting down too much, I suppose. They made a mistake and brought me camper balls instead. Did you swallow them? Yeah, and every time I sneeze, dozens of moths fly out. <laughs> Yeah, a covey of moths closely followed by a bevy of silverfish. A bevy? Flying in V formation. <laughs> fly, fly on the wing. Hey, Bill, Here's a Bill, sign Bill, of Bill, now look, wait a minute. Well, the little Bill, children now look, are... hold, now hold everything. Please, Bill, let's cut out the poetry. Nobody wants to hear anything about moths. Moths in the flame? No. <laughs> Don't you remember Maeterlinck's poem? About the moths? Oh, now, Bill, Maeterlinck wrote about bluebirds. Uh, practically the same thing. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess it is. Anyway, you shouldn't sleep with your mouth open. I don't. I sleep with my mouth closed. They crawl in through the nostrils. <laughs> well, that gives them more room. Do you do anything about it? Yeah, I usually drink a couple of glasses of flip before retiring. <laughs> Does that kill them all? Doesn't help them any. <laughs> I'm usually awake all night. There's one consolation, though. The moth suffer as much as I do. I feel them flying around in my stomach, screaming with pain. Oh, good evening, Mr. Fields. Oh, hello. I know where's your Augustine. Say, no, that, that's Edgar Bergen. Oh, yes, yes, I know. Don't tell me. Hello, Edwin. Edgar. Don't prompt me. I know. Mr. Fields, Charlie wants to say something to you. Yes. Oh. Hello, Mr. Fields. Hello, blood poison. <laughs> and now, do you feel sorry that you said I was full of termites? I guess I do. I guess I do. I really haven't had time to give it much thought. You know, Charlie really loves you, Mr. Fields. Yes, I do. But I don't think Mr. Fields loves me. Now, listen, that's gone far enough. <laughs> I've been a gentleman up to now. Why, what's the matter, Bill? Well, he's not going to tell me I don't love him. A 
I'll break every knot in his body. <laughs> I want to tell you something. He didn't know that I was in the dressing room this afternoon, and I heard him telling Dorothy Lamar that from the looks of my nose, I must have been weaned on ketchup. <laughs> on ketchup? Ah, that dirty little rat. He's a wool in sheep, sir. That's wool. America's great songs. The singer, Jessica Dragonette. The song, Victor Herbert's Kiss Me Again. Oh, McGee, our song. Remember that song, sweetheart? I'll say I remember it. <laughs> what does it remind you of, dearie? Reminds me of Otis Cadwallader, the dirty double-crosser. What? How in the world does Kiss Me Again remind you of Otis Cadwallader? Because that was the song the band kept playing at our subscription dance the night Otis got you, which I had took you to the dance myself to let him take you home. <laughs> Just because I happened to be dancing with Elsie Bupp when they played Home Sweet Home. Elsie Bupp. Her and her big, fat braids. Ah, him and his big, fat Stutz Bearcat. You were waiting at my house when Otis and I got home, too, weren't you? Betcha. Hiding under the front steps, as I recall. You remember what happened? Oh, I'll say I remember what happened. As soon as that Otis got you to the door, he tried to steal a kiss. You screamed, and I leapt up on the porch, and Otis ducked around the corner of the house, and your old man opened the front door and booted me clean over a four-foot head. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Changing the subject. Tonight's program, featuring the actual voices and sounds of some of the great shows of radio, will continue immediately following station identification. This is KNBC Radio. KNBC and KNBC FM, San Francisco. Okay, we're going to fast forward to the other side of the tape, put a little more. 
I'm gonna go sneak in and get some ice cream. Once I finish my ice cream, I'm gonna go have to call Patricia. You know, it's my birthday, so... Mom and Dad look like they're going to bed, so I'm gonna go get a dish of ice cream for us, so... Hang in there, folks. We'll be, we'll be with you really, really, really soon. We now continue with part two of tonight's special 40th anniversary broadcast of Station KNBC. You're hearing by tape recording a broadcast that Fibber McGee and Molly did back in 1951 in observance of the NBC Radio Network's 25th anniversary. This tape, now a collector's item itself, is being broadcast as a special feature of KNBC's birthday celebration. Now back to Fibber McGee and Molly. I made quite a study comedy at one time, and I found out what all them guys do that makes them successful. They all do the very same thing. What's that? They make people laugh. I always claim... Well, heavenly days, the doorbell. Yeah, I wonder who that... Come in, come in. Hi, mister. Hi, Miss McGee. Oh, hi, Teeny. Come in, come in. Hello there, Teeny. Sit down, sis. We're just listening what to... What you doing, mister? What you doing? What you... We're listening to the radio, Teeny. He has a fix so we can get programs from years ago, Teeny. Yeah. What would you like to hear, sis? Name it and you can have it. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. This is, just like Ken told you, Bing Crosby in the old music hall. Advising just that we have cause indeed for rejoicing here in the hall tonight. For tonight, friends, thrill of thrills, your friend, my friend, everybody's friend, the people's choice. A man who in his career in office has discharged every public duty. Hey, oh, I'll man. bet it's Bob Burns. You peek. <laughs> Our own dear Robin Burns, the gentleman from Van Buren, Arkansas, is with us once more, complete with folding bazooka, and I might add a very stylish coat of tan. Yeah, Bing, and I want to tell you, it goes clear down past the high water mark. <laughs> you took your collar off, huh? Yeah, and let down my shoulder strap. What? You did what? Ah, <laughs> oh, the ladies. I did, I let down my shoulder strap. Ah, uh -huh, the ladies, Bob. Well, I was sitting fishing the first Thursday I was away. I was thinking of you here in the music hall when all of a sudden I thought I heard you singing. That must have spoiled your whole day, huh? No, sir. No, sir. At first I thought maybe there was a radio turned on somewhere, but then I knew that couldn't be. And then my uh, hearing you singing must, uh, you know, just must have been my imagination because pretty soon uh, the, the, the fish, you know, they come up and they wasn't a bit scared. They weren't scared at all? No, sir. <laughs> No, sir. You know, no, sir. no, sir, no, sir, you won't believe this, but being down there in the water was the sweetest little trout you ever saw. Well, what's that got to do with you hearing my singing? Well, sir, being this little fish was sticking his little head right up out of the water. You know how fish do. Mm -hmm. Just kind of blowing bubbles and going boo-boo-boo-boo-boo at me. <laughs> I want to tell you, Bing, I pretty near cried. <laughs> yes, sir. He wagged his little tail at me and he said boo-boo-boo until I just had to take it with me. Mm. And all the way back to camp, and all night long, he just kept wagging his tail and saying boo-boo-boo-boo at me until there was only one thing left for me to do. You brought him here? No, no, I ate him for breakfast. <laughs> well, that certainly should have put a stop to his boo-boo-boo-boo-booing. No, sir, Bing, it didn't. He continued to boo-boo-boo? Yes, sir, once before I ate him and twice after. <laughs> when was that program, Daddy? Oh, around the late 30s, why? There was a young lad singing with a band around that time. A boy who was just starting up. ...to a very fine show that Is that came it? out from Princeton, Stags at Bay. Frank Sinatra in the ensemble with... That's Tommy him. ...in the orchestra and the old favorite, East of the Sun.
east of the sun. They've been brightening. And west of the moon. I'll be digging a glow. We'll build a dream house. A righteous path. Of love. Where you can really lay it on me. Near to the sun in the day. We'll be jumping. And near to the moon at night. You'll be with me. We'll live in a lovely way, dear. Living on love and pale moonlight, just you and I. We'll make the square forever and a day. So long, so long. Love will not die. We're together forever. We'll keep it that way forever. Up among the stars, we'll find a harmony of light to a lovely tune. East of the sun and west of the moon. Radio was really getting into its big years around that time, Molly. Yes, it was. Sinatra wasn't the only big discovery of those days, too, either. Because it was around 1939 that I invented the singing commercial. No, dearie, that was 1940. It was? Yes, there were two other fellows who invented them in 1939. Yeah, besides the four guys who did it in 1926. <laughs> Otherwise, I'd have made a fortune because singing commercials... Well, you just... kept trying to make a fortune, sweetheart. Oh, I I'll did. say that for you. I tried. Yes, you entered every contest on the radio that year. Quiz shows were booming. Information, please, was giving away encyclopedias, and the pot of gold had everybody a nervous wreck. I'll say it did. Us included. Remember the nights you were in the bathtub listening to the pot of gold and the telephone rang? I'll say I remember. Yeah. You grabbed a towel, rushed out in the hall, and rode clear downstairs into the living room on a cake of soap. By the time I picked myself up, the phone had stopped ringing, and there wasn't a sound in the house except a low moan from the ladies' bridge club that I forgot you were entertaining. <laughs> What are you trying to get now, McGee? Jimmy Durante. He's in this old radio somewhere because we heard him when I first got it going, remember? Well, he's been on the air for years. You ought to be able to tune him in. Here he is. Oh, a say anywhere in the 1940s, for instance. The one and only Jimmy Durante. Uh, he's present. That's him. You've got to start off the song. Now, even when things go wrong, Wait a minute. Stop the music. Stop the music. There's something wrong with the orchestral harmonics. Maestro, I'd like to hear each section separately. Nothing wrong with the trumpets. Let me hear those flutes. Nothing wrong with the flutes. Let me hear the whole band. Just what I thought. The drummer is snapping his bubble gum in the wrong key. An apology is forthcoming, maestro. But, folks, I bear happy titles that's just bursting to be announced. Give me a fanfare. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we have the only trumpet player in the world who plays without taking his instrument out of the case. 
never mind him, Jimmy. Ch tell me, what's the announcement? Listen, I'll tell you about it. I never in my lifetime was so delighted. Honest, I'm as happy as a clown. <laughs> <laughs> 